Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from Consequence of Sound. My name is Randall Colburn, and I I want to thank you guys so much for uh, listening to slash indulging slash tolerating our last episode in which we took a little detour and tried something new out. If you didn't listen, we called it the soul's midnight. We're considering another arm of the podcast, something we'll maybe do every couple months. Um, and it's just a place for us to discuss horror in general. We'll probably in the future think about, you know, maybe what books we're reading, what Stephen King books we're reading and try to tie, you know, kind of the spooky, scary experiences that we're having into whatever books we're reading, just trying some new stuff out. But it's really just a chance for us to talk about ghost stories, spooky stories, real life stories, uh, just anything that really scares us that's really happened to us. And um, you guys have been so cool on social media, sharing your own stories, your own, uh, you know, encounters with the supernatural or just general creepiness that's happened to you. And the good news is we received nothing but positive comments on it. Yeah, no, not, not, not a single, a single negative, negative review, review of it, it from it anybody, which was really cool. Couldn't believe it, but uh, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so because of that, we're going to keep pushing forward with it. Uh, from now on, we will no longer be discussing Stephen King on this podcast. <laughs> just kidding. Um, we're back to King today. We're back for a Needful Tweets episode. We're going to talk about... What what King's been tweeting about. We're going to talk about uh, Hollywood King, you know, him with the sunglasses and the Corvette. Uh, we're going to be talking about some news from that world. And we're going to give you guys a little taste of what we thought about 1922, the uh, forthcoming uh, Netflix adaptation of Stephen King's novella, 1922, directed by Zach Hilditch and starring our man, Maine. Thomas Jane. Jane. <laughs> our man, Maine. Yeah. Our man, our, our main man. Our man, Maine, Tom Jane. Yeah. Uh, good man. And um, and then after that, we have a special treat for you guys. We have an interview with Zach Hilditch, the director of 1922, who gave us some really fascinating insight into the making of the film, the process of working on it, and his thoughts about Stephen King in general, which uh, we always love to know. Yeah. So And uh, so why don't we all go around and introduce ourselves. Sitting to my left, we've got... Mackenzie Gerber, a uh, constant contributor to uh, Consequences Sound and to the Losers Club podcast. <laughs> yes, I would Thanks say you are. Thanks for breaking that down for us. You are a constant contributor um, to the podcast. I just wanted to say I was a little disappointed that you didn't give yourself an act- a name this time around. I know, I usually do. I didn't. I, and I, this one was really easy. I know. Randall the Rat Colburn. I know. Oh, yeah. Well, I there's it's I have uh, some friends who uh, used to call me a rat because they're mean because I got a oh. big nose. And um, so you you were just like I'm not going to do that. Even no, though, even though it's a really easy one. No. Well, yeah, it was like it's bad memories. No, they they have a they found this image. They search for Randy Rat on Google, and there's like a cartoon, and it says Randy Rat savor the sensation, and it's a picture <laughs> of a rat. So that image oh. became kind of iconic. So now I have to say savor the sensation whenever they call me Randy Rat, which I is very mean because it's a knock at my big ass nose. Uh, who's sitting across from me? Uh, that would be Michael. I uh, bludgeoned my wife and uh, and threw her in her well. Uh, Rothman. 
Spoiler uh, alert. Yeah. 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 Is it going to be a no, no spoiler review? <laughs> oh, everyone. That's the whole premise of the story. They it show it in the trailer. It's in the trailer. It's in the trailer. It's in the trailer. It's in the trailer. No, actually, uh, this is uh, Maniac Michael Rothman. Uh, <laughs> you can't and, change uh, him I'm, now. <laughs> I'm going back. You're bludgeoned, baby. <laughs> I'm bludgeoned. Uh, yeah, I'm the editor-in-chief of uh, Consequences Sound and uh, constant uh, listener, constant reader, and <laughs> constant host. Uh, I try to be on all these podcast episodes because I just want to know what everything's do- everyone's doing. And I need I need to have a watchful eye and everything because this is my farm. Oh man, <laughs> it's true. He does he does uh, watch us. Um, I, watch, I watch everything obsessively, which we appreciate because it's good to have someone keep tabs on you. Yeah. Uh, speaking of tabs, Tabitha King, Tabby. Ooh, yeah. Remember when uh, she visited uh, Max Modride? The- <laughs> first of all, I thought that was going somewhere. No, I had nowhere to go. I was, with like, it. I was like, "Oh, is she in a needful tweet?" Yeah, Tabitha King. She's a, she's a great uh, great writer. Uh, yeah, great mother. <laughs> yeah, great mother. Those great kids all turned out great. They did. I mean, well, uh, that, that is, is really not true. Being facetious. They all did. I you know, know for someone all- growing for kids growing up in a, in a in a horrific setting, such as oh, not horrific setting, but just the fact that you know his their father is a horror writer, and apparently this this uh, quote unquote demented person because he likes horror, and the kids are all into horror. They even write horror. And they're all really nice people. And yeah. the sons of famous people always end up doing cocaine, like yeah. a, a, abusing it. I know. It's sad. Uh, I don't <laughs> know why we just got sad about it. Uh, <laughs> well, let's well, stay some I, news I, we don't know about. <laughs> I was going to say that that actually was a good segue into Needful Tweets because one of his sons has been, both of his sons actually have been popping up in King's tweets lately, Ooh. mainly because King has been touring, doing some book tours with Owen King, his son, which with whom he wrote Sleeping Beauties. And so a lot of his tweets have been about the book tour and saying thank you to people at book tours. So we'll skip those tweets. Wait, wait, wait. Are we about to go into another edition of Needful Tweets? He's not a human being. Boo! Don't you see what he's done? Please kill them all. Get God sort them out. Oh, so what is the, what is the <laughs> I love about? it. No, I just love that soundbite. <laughs> I do. Too. Oh, it is a good soundbite. So, um, like I said, like we have ground rules for needful tweets these days. No Trump tweets. No. Uh, and then no just kind of token. Hey, thanks for coming out to my book tour tweets unless there's something yeah. interesting. So we'll be skipping through a few, actually. And uh, although I will say that Stephen King retweeted Jack Ketchum early in October uh, and Jack Ketchum said, what if you saw an X in a snuff film? Sure short film version of my story mail order now streaming on Amazon Prime. And the story actually sounds pretty cool. It's about a Wall Street trader who is obsessed with snuff films and he thinks he sees an old girlfriend starring in one. That's a spooky premise. Reminds me of 8mm. I love 8mm. I was going to say, that uh, does remind me of that a little bit. I like 8mm. But anyway, Stephen King retweeted that. And so uh, let's, uh, then he he tweeted, uh, it looks like a nice, um, a nice older couple tweeted a photo with Stephen and Owen. It says, uh, Neetha and I with Owen and Stephen King before their Toronto event. And it's sweet that King would uh, retweet that. I like uh, Linwood Barclay's uh, user photo also. Oh, he's a crime novelist, so he's a he's somebody of importance. Oh, interesting. Because I just clicked on him, and he has eleven point seven thousand followers. Well, he looks like Buddy Garrity. Um, he does look like Buddy Garrity from Friday Night Lights. Yeah, he does. So, uh, so yeah, let's skip ahead. Uh, lots of Trump, Mike Pence tweets. We're going to skip over because uh, I think there was a lot of bullshit going on, and. Um, yeah. And then he's also been retweeting his uh, his son, Joe Hill, who we should note has a uh, book 
upcoming, he has a book of like a kind of his own different seasons coming out yeah. uh, called Strange Weather. It's going to be like four novellas. And I'm really stoked about that. So I'm hoping we can, you know, get one of us can end up reading that soon so we can share some thoughts on it. But we did get a Molly, a.k.a. the thing of evil oh my gosh. Uh, appearance. Ooh. Even though this is a Trump tweet, it, it, we can say it because it's got Molly in yeah. it. And it's an adorable photo of Molly. Very but, adorable. It says Molly, a.k.a. the thing of evil, says she's ready to test her IQ against Trump's. Bring him on, she says. I, I like that the ear, the right ear on yeah. Molly is just down a little bit. She looks kind of sad, too. She's a good, good dog. I, I wish I could squeeze this dog. I love squeezing dogs, and I got to hang out with a corgi mix in uh, Los Angeles for four days uh, this past weekend. And um, it was great. Just wonderful. Wonderful. Love corgis. Uh, yeah, corgis are, are pretty special. And uh, you know what else are special? Tigers. Oh. And the next week on October wow. 10th, uh, Stephen King tweeted about a movie called Tigers Are Not Afraid, directed by Issa Lopez. This is one terrific film, he says, both tough and touching. Two minutes in, I was under its spell. Ooh. I looked up this movie a little bit. It's a dark fairy tale about a gang of five children. Hey, sounds familiar. Uh, trying to survive the horrific violence of... Sorry, hold on. I have to click on the link. I thought that the whole wow, thing looks like we, uh, we don't have it already yet. But uh, it, trying to survive the horrific violence of the cartels and the ghosts created every day by the drug war. So this looks to be a that's, Mexican. Uh, that's uh, actually, film. a pretty interesting. Yeah. Premise, yeah. So there, it's a ghost, like a ghost haunted house. I don't uh, know if it's just that they're just saying that, or if there are actual ghosts. But I think that's kind of creepy premise. If I that's think the case. I, it was like ghosts that were killed from drug dealers. That could be kind of cool. Well, it also says there's another description here that says um, a ten year old girl is followed by the spirit of her dead mother. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. So, but it looks like it's, it's, you know, combining current events with a little bit of horror. It kind of reminds me of, um, what's that, uh, what was that Iranian horror movie that was great? Oh yeah. Under the Shadow? Under the Shadow. Because that kind of tied in war and, uh, you know, real life strife with kind of a ghost story. I love that movie. Love that movie. Because you can't tell in one sequence when they're running into the house to get something, you can't tell whether to be scared of ghosts or the actual like warfare that's going on around yeah. the house, which is just it's just such a jarring, unstable movie. Like it's just it's wild. Yeah. And um, then um, later that day, uh, our friend Richard Chismar tweeted, long day of writing. Billy Chismar and I are up to no good. And King said, that's good for readers. So it looks like Richard Chismar, who co-wrote Gwendy's Button Box with Stephen King, Great is working on another book with it looks like his brother. Um, or somebody related to him. Um, I'm trying to see if I can figure that out. Mm, no, but oh well. I wish I was related to a famous writer. If you could be related to any writer, who would it be? Stephen King. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah, I'd probably go with King too. I think I'm actually related to Aaron Burr. Oh, is that true? Yeah, I think uh, I think we got some papers uh, about. 15 years ago, mm. saying that we were somehow a distant, 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 distant relative of well, Aaron that, Burr. That, that, and this is before the Aaron Burr fame from Hamilton recently. Well, no, it, it was it was uh, part of the historical fame, um, <laughs> which I uh, loathe Aaron Burr because uh, Alexander Hamilton was my, uh, or is my favorite uh, political figure in America. Oh, well, historical uh, figure, actually. The next tweet. Yeah. I always, liked, <laughs> I always liked in Kindergarten Cop when a kid comes forward and he goes, I'm Alexander Hamilton. Aaron Burr shot me. And oh, then there's yeah, polite great. laughter, and you see Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger like politely laughing. <laughs> I like the part when he's just like, crisp! 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 I like how they had this menacing um, 
uh, menacing bad guy played by uh, Richard. Oh, uh, Richard Tyson. Richard Tyson. Um, and his name is Crisp. Yeah, like Cullen Crisp. Crisp. Cullen. Hey, Cullen Crisp. I'll, 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 I'm not kidding. I rewatched it I, recently. I oh love God, that. Movie. All jokes aside, yeah, I love that movie. Hey, uh, fun fact: How is a kindergarten cop tied to a Stephen King universe? Um, how is it tied to a Stephen King universe? Yeah, it, there's a tie there. Is uh, it? Who's the woman in it? No. Oh. I thought that might have been. Is Dominic? Is he Dominic? In? Dominic. No, it's uh, it's, it's uh, Dominic's friend who's uh, in class. Oh, oh, Miko oh, Hughes. Miko yeah. Hughes. Yeah, girls, I forgot girls Miko have Hughes. a vagina and uh, boys have a penis. I but, totally butchered wait, that line. But what? what? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Pet yeah. Cemetery. Pet yeah. Cemetery. Yeah. And this was after Pet Cemetery. Yeah, this is oh. a little bit after. Maybe the year after, I think, because I think 1990 is yeah. kindergarten. Well, you know what happened? 91. I know, like, the casting directors saw that kid in Pet Cemetery and they were like, this is hilarious. Yeah. We got to get him in Kindergarten Cop. I mean, they probably did. <laughs> he is. If there's one thing that Pet Cemetery is, it's hilarious. So, um, <laughs> especially that scene at the end when he's just walking around and no he falls fair. over. Well, no my, favorite, my favorite scene no in the movie fair. is when they're uh, having a nice little picket. <laughs> Oh boy! Excuse me. I think I know what you're alluding to. And that's say, that's just no, disgusting. Just a, just a family having a nice picnic outside. No um, fair. With anyway. the neighbor? Yeah, with the neighbor. Yeah, my, fa- I my favorite. With, I play with mommy. Now I play with you. <laughs> let's let, let's be real for a second. If 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 uh, Rachel don't we'll, play we'll with your this. mommy, <laughs> go play what, with your mommy. What if what if kindergarten cop before Rachel embraced Gage and and you know what, whatever happens at the end of that movie? What if like the door bursts open and it's not Lewis but but kindergarten cop? Like he, he goes and storms up the stairs. I like how we're just calling him kindergarten cop. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember his name. <laughs> Miko. Uh, Richard Kimball is that his name? My name is Richard Kimball. That's the name from the Fugitive, though. It is. <laughs> No, it's would, John Kimball. Oh, John Kimball. John Kimball. Because we used to have the sound bar, and it was I'm Detective world. John Kimball. Love E-Bombs World, my favorite. G.I. <laughs> Joe. Um, oh, boy. What if uh, they did a remake of Pet Cemetery and Arnold played Judd? <laughs> Some, I honestly sometimes could, I dead could, is better. I could see them doing that now you know, with Arnold say, being say that older. Is better. The soil is... is uh, rotten. The soil is stonier than I can just know. I know. <laughs> Gage cuts the back of his leg. Yeah. 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 But then he like turns. Yeah. For some reason, he turns into liquid metal. Or, <laughs> it's not even his character from Terminator. Come with, come with me if you want to live. Come with me if you want to live, Gage. Come with um, me if you want to live again. Oh, so the, you're saying the T1000. You're saying Arnold Schwarzenegger comes back as the T1000 in Pet Cemetery. Protect Gage. <laughs> and he and like they keep like seeing him across the street when they're at like the highway like the, the tr- you know when like they have those shots where like the, the trucks come by but this time he stands in front of the it truck says, and the truck just, 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 just destroyed he just keeps going up if he comes a puddle and then he comes back you know just keeps doing it for fun <laughs> because he's a widow <laughs> He's a widow. Yeah, though they sent him back. The Terminator had a wife. Well, Judd Judd has a wife that died. (laughs) So So that means that. Wow, this is really gone off the rails. (laughs) All right, we got to get back. Thanks for uh, indulging that, people. Let's move on. Uh, October 11th. uh, Apparently, that's when Mr. Mercedes wrapped up its first season. Stephen King said, thanks to everyone who saw, enjoyed, and said nice things about Mr. Mercedes. Hey, that includes us. Yes, that's Uh, very true. Bill Hodges will be back. We watched the first four episodes and nothing else. Yeah, we want to watch the rest of it. We just, none of us have access to this uh, (laughs) elusive elusive audience network uh, where it aired. I hope that they somehow figure out a way to get it to a bigger audience. But I am glad that they renewed it for a second season. So. I'll be able to rent it when it gets to my library. 
Justin, for some reason, is convinced that the second season won't be yeah. uh, Finders Keepers. Yeah, that was that was interesting because he, <laughs> he he messaged us on on uh, on messages, um, and he was just like, uh, "End of watch?" with a question mark. <laughs> We're like, "No, you or, idiot!" Yeah, but- <laughs> Is it Finders Keepers next? Yeah. That's oh, no, no. So he's like, Finders Keepers? And we're like, yeah, no shit. What, what else is it going to be? Like <laughs> Mercedes 2? Well, like, I, think, show up till I think he was saying that because I don't think that four episodes in, I don't think he felt like we were remotely close to telling the really? story of the first book. Well, we got to finish this. I know. What, well, what, well, we're going to talk about that in, in uh, Little Hollywood King. So I mean, uh, are you, what, uh, what kind of Stephen King podcast are we? We're not finishing these sh- series. I mean, we gave up on The Mist about two episodes in. Oh, so did The, sta- so so did the did Station. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> we canceled it. It's true. Um, hey, what I loved, I saw. Or, I mean, look, what I man, saw, I loved. <laughs> there's so much content. We can only consume yeah. so much content. Uh, but I'm sorry, Mac, if our, if our utter bashing on Justin offended you. Oh, no, that's right. Because we were just <laughs> ripping him to shreds just now. We were. Um, no, I just, I think that that's what he was trying to say. And you losers were just going to pick up on it. <laughs> hey, we're all losers here. Yeah, uh, okay. True. On October 12th, uh, Stephen King tweeted, The End of the World Running Club by Adrian J. Walker. This one's a real find. I got a copy in Toronto. Might not be published yet in the U.S. You know what? I don't need him flaunting that he gets these early press copies. <laughs> he didn't. No, he he did. got it in Toronto. <laughs> it was, might not be in the U.S. Yet. Oh, but then yeah, he yeah, said Twitter congregation true. says the end of the world running club is available on audio and it's supposed to be good or it's supposedly, supposedly good. good. <laughs> mm. And so, uh, yeah, so we'll have to look into that. Um, and then uh, later that day, he said, by the way, the unabridged audio of Sleeping Beauties read by Marin Ireland is, as Eugene of The Walking Dead would say, totally hunky dunky. Oh, God. That's Why awful. are you citing that garbage show? Ugh. Now, apologies, constant listeners, if you are a huge fan of The Walking Dead. No, I, I think was if also... they're listening to us, they know how we feel. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> That's true. I finally gave up last fall, and this is uh, coming from someone who had been reading the comics since uh, 2004. So um, you know what I can't yeah. fault King for though is supporting another uh, you know genre of horror on television, and uh, you know there are a lot of horror fans that love Walking Dead. We still love you. We want you to keep listening. You know, uh, obviously we don't agree uh, with King's uh, taste in uh, in television That's sometimes. True. You know, but. Uh, yeah, that's, Look, that's just man, how it is. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of, the end of the world running club is available in the U.S. It's a science fiction. In, uh, wait, let me see here. Oh, Gizmodo and IO9 both lauded it. And those are mm. sites I trust. A uh, powerful post-apocalyptic thriller, perfect for fans of The Martian. When the sky begins to fall, one man finds himself separated from his family. His best hope is to run or risk losing what he loves forever. Sounds like the uh, long walk meets... Uh... Martian? Um, Martian. Kind of, I guess, yeah. Martian. I loved that book. Um, I, I had a lot of fun with that book, actually, um, just because it was a nice re- reprieve uh, when I was at Sundance a couple of years ago and um, whining and dining with the fine folk up there in Park City. Um, <laughs> anyway, no, I'm just joking. Uh, and mask. Uh, uh, Stephen King on October 15th, somebody tweeted, I'm working on the theory that Trump might actually be Randall Flagg. And King responded, this hardly needs a comment added. Yeah, but I believe there was, oh, uh, mm. Eric Vespi uh, had uh, replied saying, no way, Randall Flagg was way smarter. Oh, yeah. Do well, you think, uh, w- w- what, do we, what do we got here? I think we should move on. Uh, yeah, yeah that's true. not too much Trump Too much here. Trump. Too much Trump. Uh, October 16th, I agree with this. 
Mindhunter on Netflix. Strongly recommended. Other than a jaw-dropping moment in the first episode, very little gore. Wait, you started watching it? Yeah. I, I started it. watching it as well. I'm uh, two and a half episodes in. I am two episodes in. And I will say, if the first episode doesn't grab you, definitely watch the second because I thought it was very good. Well, I'll probably watch it once I finish my uh, fifth rewatch of Twin Peaks. So. <laughs> yeah. Are you rewatching it again? I fall asleep to it every night. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. It's pathetic. I, and this is, <laughs> mind you, mind you, this is, I have not watched The Deuce. I have not caught up on Vice Principles. I still have a Vice. I still those have are all good things. Yeah, oh, no, all, no. I mean, like, well, those know, are all some, things you some, do need to watch. Some people die alone. That's true. <laughs> well, I, got, so I got Red good. Oaks uh, season three waiting for me at home, so I'm going to watch that. Ooh, I got to see that. Ooh, I, like somebody this. I, I, I really do like this next tweet because you had said Gizmodo a few months, a few minutes ago. Yeah. And it made me think of uh, Gizmo. This, yeah. So My favorite gremlin. Uh, King says, remember not to tweet after midnight. It turns you into a gremlin. First of all, He's not even Gizmo a gremlin. is, uh, is he's a mogwai. He's, he's yeah. not a gremlin. How dare you? How dare you? I, uh, he still could become a gremlin, so technically he's a gremlin. Oh, like I could become a serial killer, yeah. so yeah. Uh, a serial if killer it's predestined. You know, I gotta say, I gotta say, you know what's crazy about uh, Gizmo? He never really does become a gremlin. He just stays away from that. Well, I guess he he births those little like eggs and stuff. Yeah, and he has the saddest little look uh, on his face when he uh, gives birth. That's only it's like he's that's because a someone dump. wasn't following the rules I and know. got him wet. Well, well, the second one is not really his fault. Well, I guess they're never really his well, fault. Well, wait. No, it's Billy's fault in the first one. Second it, one's it, not his it, fault, it, though. You, you don't Billy. feed him. You wait, what are the rules? You don't feed him after midnight. You can't. There's no you light. you don't get him wet. Yeah, no wet. And no bright light, right? No. Yeah, yeah I think that's it. But in the first one, he just eats at the midnight, and then yeah. the, the gremlins are born. In the yeah. second one, he gets wet, yeah, and they, because spawn, somebody, they like, spiral off his yeah. back, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, we've, now that we've figured that out, yeah. let's, move let's move on, on to the last tweet. Uh, King says, next week, Strange Weather by Joe Hill. It's a gem. Am I prejudiced? Sure. But Kirkus says, pitch perfect. P.W. touts emotional resonance. By P.W., he means Paul Westerberg. Um, <laughs> joking. Um, uh, wait, so what is, what is Kirkus? I always thought it was just bullshit. Like know, when Kirk. something is Kirkus recommended, I'm like, I'm like, isn't that just like a publisher's thing? Like, isn't that like their job is to say everything is good? It seems that uh, it's the leading source for self-published authors and book lovers. So I think it means kind of a BS. That's yeah. One. Like, um, come on, King. You should know better than that. Well, you know, I mean, he's well, promoting his, it regardless. So, you know, he could be making up quotes if he wanted to, you know. Yeah. And then did you guys want to share what, what was going on on the Dark t- Dark Tower Twitter feed recently? Oh, yeah. There was a, a recent, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of funny. It was... They uh, tweeted this weird symbol that kept making this like odd. Sh- it was like an odd shape that was. Oh yeah, I just was going brought it around, around. Yeah, and uh, it was like and hashtag anywhere is coming. Yeah, I got that up. Yeah, and it was just like this odd sort of. Is that the sound? Yeah, I'm fast forwarding. It looks like it's just the same thing over and over again. I'm gonna put it on too. We've officially lost our minds here at the Stephen King podcast. <laughs> what does that mean? Club. But th- th- there are some great comments that are on there, though, that when I was reading it. Um, uh, real spooky at, <laughs> at Think I'm Real says that this is great. I've consumed every piece of literature surrounding the Dark Tower. I have no idea what this means. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody it's said. Like it's like such a further insult to fans. Jason yeah. at J-Z-K-A-S-H said, well, what, what I do know is this is far, far better than the film was. <laughs> That's great. 
And then there's one, uh, there's like a Charlie uh, photo from uh, Always Sunny when he's trying to solve uh, uh, all the crime. Uh, and then somebody said, that looks an awful lot like a stylized version of the ABC Australia logo, sometimes used in promos and commercials. It, what's very funny, um, TBS, is that I, nobody really isn't trying to solve this because they don't care. It's like the best part is that on. people are actually actually are still trying to solve well, it, they can, but it's so even passive, they know it has nothing to do it's with passive it. aggressive solving. It's uh, not like Reddit, <laughs> mind, like where they'll figure it out like in a hive minded mentality in like two minutes. No, these people like were like, um, well, eh, we we found out oh. the source, didn't we? We found out that the the reason they did that is because they're promoting the release of the movie. Yeah. Uh, which I don't know if it's out now because I'm not following it at all. Oh, it's but, it's uh, apparently it's I'm, on digital it, or digital digital release. It's a digital release today. It's on. It's out now. Apparently, and if you click on the hashtag, yeah. there's some uh, anywhere looks to be the name of the new multi studio movie download service. Maybe that's the logo for anywhere. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Either way, it's out on digital if you want it. Um, oh yeah, yeah. There's um. <laughs> I work at Disney, some guy tweeted, and we are excited to announce your movies together at last, moviesanywhere.com. So I think it's like a new streaming service. What's exciting is that you can watch The Dark Tower literally anywhere now, which is... um, Where would you most want to watch The Dark Tower movie? Like, where where couldn't you before, but now you can because you can watch it anywhere? Would you watch The Dark Tower Well, I'm such a huge fan that I actually booked a trip to uh, South Africa uh, to where they had their, you know, where they they shot the movie. So I'm going to watch the movie as I'm walking through Midworld and, um, you know, get some photos with the cast and crew down there. Uh, I've been jumping. And I've been jonesing to watch it like at a like a Walmart. <laughs> like just Oh like well, like they have it running on one of the TVs. Yeah. <laughs> just pull up a chair and get some popcorn. I wonder uh, if you know what I guarantee they would let you do that yeah. and sit there and watch the whole movie. I, w- I, I mean I would. They have a really cool uh if you're at Target actually and doing it, they, Target has a really cool uh, spooky Halloween section right now. Yeah. They do uh, pick up all your spooky gear at Target. Yeah, they have a really cool TV thing that I messed around with for about five minutes before my uh, the person that worked at Target was like, that's enough. <laughs> uh, well, um, that's all the needful tweets we got. So um, I think it's time for us to all put on our sunglasses, all roll down the, the top, crank up that Bruce Springsteen baby, and just drive down that 45. 45? Wait, 405. Oh, yeah. Here we go. I'm not from Los Angeles. <laughs> There's a town on the coast of Del Sol, always find my way there. There's a place that they calls to my soul, always find my way there. People there are forever young. Oh, I love Hollywood. You were just there. I was. It was a lot of fun. For Uh, the Lynch Fest. I was there for uh, David Lynch's Festival of Destruction, part duck. 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 Part duck. Part duck. Anyway, I, hard shot, hot shots part day. Um, I was there for the second uh, iteration of uh, the Festival of Disruption. It was a lot of fun. Saw my buddy Justin Vernon and uh, uh, saw my other buddy uh, Sharon Van Etten. Did you ask them if they're King fans? I did not, uh, but I would imagine that Justin I, Vernon's favorite uh, Stephen King novel is probably Cujo. I think yeah. Sharon Van Etten's favorite novel is um, Salem's Lot. Oh, I, I, because she likes, uh, she likes Ben Mears? Uh, no, I just, uh, I just know in my heart. Oh yeah. Well, she could write a lot of songs. Every day the sun, uh, comes up, right? Ah, Ooh. I love that song. Maybe it's about oh, wait, the vampires. Features a vampire in the video. Oh, does it really? That's true. It's oh, true. I did not know that. What's actually. a king book with snakes? Well, and an she's got that but... song serpents. Ooh, I don't know. Actually. Does he do snakes? The serpent and the rainbow. That's a good movie by, um, Wes Craven. Wes Craven. Yeah, Bill Pullman. 
Oh, the also, woman who was also in Lost mm-hmm. Highway, that's right. who canceled this past weekend at yeah, Festival Disruption. Unfortunate. It was very unfortunate because I love the guy, I love me the guy pulls off a beard. I will say that he does, except uh, he doesn't pull off a, a sequel because that, that Independence Day resurgence sucked. <laughs> Uh, speaking of things that uh, suck, um, let's uh, talk about some. Uh, no, that's, this, that was oh, wow. that that the worst seg. That's well, the worst no, seg to this news. The first, oh wow, the first like round of news where we don't have something that we can possibly be uh, upset about. No, these are all. This is all. These are all great headlines. Um, well, first up, uh, while we were sleeping, um, or while we were all sleeping, uh, we uh, missed uh, the Castle Rock teaser, uh, which I w- dropped at New York Comic Con. And uh, we all saw it. We watched it multiple times. Yeah. I, uh, I get up every night uh, and watch it at 3 in the morning. That's um, weird. Let me just say, I hope that uh, the score for that trailer is the score for the actual show. Oh. Because I thought it was really good. Uh, I'm, gl- I'm really happy when we see trailers like this or teaser trailers like this. And you can't figure out one, one goddamn thing that's going on in the trailer. That's that bad, ro- bad robot stamp uh, Gotta approval love right there. The o- only thing I kind of think might be happening is uh, we got Bill, Bill, Billy Skarsgård, uh, rep- not reprising, but, you know, uh, of it fame. Is what, now if he is be... penny, what if he's Pennywise between, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, behind the mask? <laughs> but I will say in the trailer, uh, there's a there is a sequence where you see him behind bars, yeah. which I can only assume is Shawshank from the end of the trailer when we see the car being, you know, sinking in the in the river or well, in we, the lake. And it says Shawshank on the bumper. Well, yeah. And we know that Andre Holland uh, from Moonlight, uh, the real Best Picture winner, um, he plays a death row attorney. So oh. conceivably, maybe uh, Billy Skarsgård's uh, found himself in some trouble, and he's behind bars. This guy's got to save him. Putting the pieces together. Could the be. vibe I get, uh, all the different images seem very disconnected, not in a bad way. I just, I have a feeling that we're going to have interlocking characters, but it's going to have an anthology feel. I hope so. Uh, I think that could be cool because it seems like I couldn't find uh, like you, that. You just drew kind of one line. Uh, but I didn't see a lot of other lines to connect kind of what we were seeing. That's true. And also, I feel like a lot of times with these teasers, they're usually almost all that footage is probably in the first episode. You know yeah, what I mean? So it like it's very, it's very possible. That, well, there's that, that weird shot where there's like, it seems like there's a mascot that's standing on on, on the roof. That's yeah. Oh, the little girl waves and yeah. the mascot waves back and then someone jumps off a bridge. It's all coming back. To me. I mean, well, it's just interesting to me, this, this show is still because... I still am under the assumption that this is all going to be like sequels to these original like books. Yeah. Well, it, it well we know it definitely takes place after some of this stuff because yeah. we've got we got the sheriff in there. We've yeah. got um uh, is that who um, God, that, John, yeah, Scott Glenn Scott is Glenn. Alan Alan Penguin. John Glenn, the, the yeah. astronaut. <laughs> yeah, the astronaut. Scott Glenn. Um Love Scott Glenn. Vertical limit. Yeah. Um <laughs> and then we got your boy Terry O'Quinn, uh, Terry O'Quinn, uh, who's playing Dale Lacey. I don't know any Dale missed, Lacey. Missed so. opportunity that he's not in that trailer. Yeah. I really uh, wish he was in there. I think that would I think tell people, me what to people do. would flock to uh to the old show. I would hope that Terry O'Quinn's actually reprising his role from Stepfather and that we get some crossover action. Yeah, who am I here? <laughs> a great scene. We actually referenced that scene a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. <laughs> um Melanie Linsky, we do get a glimpse of we get a glimpse of Melanie Linsky, we get a glimpse mm-hmm. of uh, Jane Levy. Uh, who's screaming. So hopefully, you know, she has more screen time in this than she did in Twin Peaks, where she was in there for maybe two minutes. Um, 
I we see Sissy Spacek who shares the last name with uh, Andre Holland, so maybe they're related. Uh, maybe they're lovers. Maybe, maybe they... she's Carrie. Ooh, that would be crazy if she's Carrie. No, she's runaway not Carrie. Carrie. She's not gonna be Carrie. Um, yeah, but Carrie doesn't die in the De Palma version. So um... <laughs> what? This is not connected. Not really. to the, this is not connected to the De Palma. I, I want these. All, I, I what I want Castle Rock to be. And I'm not even being facetious right now. Is I want these to be. I just want it to be a follow up to every one of the movies. We just assume that the movies are canon in this, <laughs> and we just go from there. And from, we're we're from what we know, from what we know of JJ Abrams, uh, he loves tying every single past. No, he, he's like the king of reboots. So he is the king of reboots, not, but he also is very reverent to the source material. Like look at Star, well, we Star know Trek. he's a big Stephen King fan because we know all his, the history of the Dark Tower yep. films and how he, they, you know, of course purchased those rights or attempted to by. You know, nine, what nineteen yeah. bucks? Bought it for nineteen bucks and gave it away for free. Um, <laughs> that's basically what happened. Uh, so yeah, I mean, look, we're going to share the the teaser trailer. You guys can all watch it. I think everyone has already. We already did on uh, Facebook. So, you know, we're just in the waiting room right now. Ah, the waiting room. Our boy, of course. Uh, shall we move on? Yeah, let's go to the next one. Josh Boone to adapt yet another Stephen King property. This was a big one because we've already heard Josh Boone's name attached to The Stand and Revival, but neither of those were the movie that was announced. What was the movie that was announced, Mike? Uh, the Talisman. Which is very strange. Yeah. I'm And like, this is going to be, are they saying it's, yeah, it's supposed to be like a movie, right? Yeah, well, he's. It's interesting that like there have been multiple people who have been trying to bring the talisman to life on the screen. Uh, I think even Spielberg was attached to it at one point. Um, it's just a very, very hard story to to bring. Well, yeah, it, it's like eight hundred, nine hundred pages, right? Yeah, yeah, and well, I mean, it, it has that whole element of like the kids are involved. There's like a creepy monster that's kind mm-hmm. of like Pennywise. So I could see why that would be the next one. The problem with this is that Josh Boone already has the stand that's in the background. And or not even the background. It's just like in pre-production hell. Um, and then revival, which is I think pretty. It's already moved forward at this point. So um, I mean, I don't know if he's doing a third one. Great. Let's just get one of them done. I just very much see. I don't know. My whole worry is that they're just trying to make the talisman into like a young adult movie because I think it could very much be that. I mean, it's about a young guy and then you know a magical Negro gives him a magical juice that can transport him to other, another dimension. And then it involves a lot of, you know, like the, the villain is his best friend's dad. You know, it's like, it's, it just strikes me that they're going to try to do it like a kind of a, a dark tower, young adult kind of thing. Whereas the book is actually like super violent and super dark. And I would rather them lean into that aspect of it. I almost hope that the dark tower is like the, sort of scapegoat that ends all those like kind of YA sort of like films where now studios are like, Oh, it looks like people are well, really I feel like that, that. What's nice is that, you know, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I guess they were being filmed at the same time probably, but just the fact that we got, you know, Gerald's game, 1922 it, and those are all, don't really pull the punches, yeah. you know? So hopefully we'll continue to see that. Well, but those are stories that can't really be like twisted into the young adult format. No. Whereas Talisman very much is. It could. Well. And I mean, young adult's fine. I'm just, it just, I don't know. I mean, Amblin is doing it. 
So Amblin Entertainment, that's Spielberg's, uh, you know, yeah, but territory. His goal is Kiva Goldman knocking on the door. I hope. I hope not. I hope not. I hope not. I hope I he's hope not knocking on anyone's door. I, I hope he's knocking on his own door, trying to get out because someone locked him in. <laughs> uh, anyway, I hope he's knocking on the basement door because somebody locked him down there. Yeah, like you know, uh, our boy Thomas Jane from 1922. Yeah. Anyway, we're looking forward to announcing more Josh Boone to adapt a Stephen King novel news in the future. And, Classic uh, Justin. Yeah. What a what a great line, Justin. <laughs> Love him. Uh, whether or not uh, he actually adapts these stories is another story altogether. Um, yeah, true. It's true. What are the odds that uh, The Stand ever comes out? I don't think it's coming out ever. I don't think we'll see it not, uh, while I'm alive. So. <laughs> <laughs> I would say The Stand comes out. I, I think that the I, I thought the wheels were going to be turning on that one by now. I thought actually we would hear... Given how successful it was, I thought we would be hearing a lot more of the bigger properties come to fruition, but yeah. we haven't really, which is kind of relieving well, in a way because I was I was always worried that they were going to be like, yeah, The Shining's going to be remade or we're going to be doing another fucking carry, even though because it just seems like there's bad ideas all the time in Hollywood. So that I'm I'm glad that we haven't seen that yet. I'm glad but, too because it seems like they're focusing on the sequel. Yeah, and. Yeah. You know, that's it. Like, I haven't heard about yeah. anything else, like, in the pipeline. I mean, you know, you get stories like this, but this, this happens all the time. Yeah. And whether it comes to fruition, you never know. Um, Back, but you want to read this next one? Something yeah, you that go. is coming to fruition yeah. is, and what we already mentioned a little bit earlier, Mr. Mercedes Passes Inspection is renewed for season two. <laughs> AT&T's Audience Network, a real TV channel, Announced that there will be more Bill Hodges adventures to come. Yay! <laughs> they said, we're thrilled that the first installment of Mr. Mercedes resonated with such a wide audience. This, uh, oh, Christopher Long said, and he is the head of the audience network. So a audience, real, wink, A wink. real TV channel. Uh, David E. Kelly, Jack Bender, Dennis Lehane, and Sonar. Sonar. Sonar is a producing company. Oh, did a masterful job crafting a series that honored the original work by Stephen King. We're excited to have the opportunity to create a second season with this incredible team. Director, executive producer, These are Jack such Bender. lame quotes. <laughs> like the most boring quotes possible. They, they this all... is everything that everybody always says about yeah. their season two. Director, executive producer, Jack Bender said, Mr. Mercedes is Stephen King writing about <laughs> the monsters inside his characters rather than outside, said Whoa, Bender. deep. We were extremely, and uh, we're making fun of this, but I actually really liked Mr. Mercedes. I know, no, I did too. Uh, I know, we all did. We all did. This is just well, a We're lame... making fun of the Hollywood hot shots behind it. Yeah, these, all these Hollywood hacks. Uh, like quotes we, by a bunch cucks. <laughs> he says, like Akiva's, Akiva's oh. just going to offer up a quote, even though he's not even involved. <laughs> so great to see Mr. Mercedes season two moving forward. I, for one, am a huge fan and will definitely be knocking on the door to uh, join the producing team and the writing team. Hey, you guys want to go get lunch down at uh, Michael's? Uh, <laughs> Let's we could, do uh, lunch. <laughs> uh, the last thing Bender had to say was we were extremely fortunate to attract an amazing cast led by Brendan Gleeson and Harry Treadaway to bring these flawed, complex, mm-hmm. colorful characters to life with sonar and at&t along with great scripts and our talented team in charleston i'm thrilled to keep telling this story a story well now i'm taking this a story that we're (laughs) not quite sure if it's going to be uh mr mercedes uh or (laughs) mr mercedes or its sequel finders keepers yep Losers weepers. If I had to, if I'm a betting man and I'm not, um, but if I was, I would say it's going to be uh, Finders Keepers. But they could make it where it's like end of watch and they do some kind of cool twist where they do the third one before the second one. 
That would not work. You know no. what? Yeah. No. Well, I, I haven't read them. You haven't I'm read them, right? No, I haven't. <laughs> well, I would just say that, uh, like the thing, the thing that's really nice about the second book is that Bill Hodges doesn't enter until halfway through because he's the worst part about this trilogy. But like, um, well, I disagree. But, the, show, but the thing is, Brandon Gleason in the show, the, he's yes. hard because I love Brandon Gleason. God. But I'll say that. <laughs> But uh, they'll probably just restructure it because they're not going to bury Brennan Gleason for half the season. So they'll probably just do it concurrently. And Um, don't get lazy, folks. I mean, just because it's been renewed for a second season doesn't mean it's safe. Definitely go check this out. Yeah. We only saw the first four episodes, but I, I was I thought it was great. I was loving it, and I, I, I was really hoping to see what happens between Brennan Gleason and uh, Mary Louise Parker. So, yeah, oh, fire yeah. up that easy-to-access audience network and get watching. Well, we got another great story. Uh, we got a round oh, two God. of Burger King versus McDonald's. <laughs> now, if you remember from our previous uh, Needful Tweets episode, we went uh, ham, uh, not hamburger, but... Hard as a motherfucker you know, on uh, <laughs> this story about McDonald's uh, from Russia or Burger King from Russia going nuts. But anyway, we're going to read. They're going nuts about Pennywise and it. And it's just a superfluous story that we made into this huge exaggerated thing for forever on the podcast. Anyway, we're back with it. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I just mentioned all that. Um, actually, um, I'm going to recap anyway. A couple weeks ago. Uh, Burger King's Russia division were complaining that Pennywise served free advertising for McDonald's. Um, They still suck, but uh, Germany's Burger King (laughs) took action in a much more humorous way. At a German pre-premiere for It, after the last scene, instead of jumping to the end credits, a bubble appeared on the screen that said, the moral is, never trust a clown. Then another bubble popped up with the Burger King logo. One of the greatest troll jobs in the history of troll jobs. There is video of it, too, and we will share it on our uh, social feeds. That is fucking insane. That's wild. <laughs> I, would That's be kind, I would be really pissed if that happened at my screening, though, to be honest with you. Well, doesn't it just happen at the end? Uh, I think this is yeah. after the credits, after the laugh, after, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Well, if, if that happened when, you know... If it happened pre... When my boy Richie is going nuts, like, I, I would have I been angry. Um, anyway. It just happened during the final, f- final sequence where they're fighting it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love... Uh, I like that final. I can't hear Burger King without thinking of um, the Arrested Development with Carl Weathers, where he's like, "Thanks for meeting me here at the Burger King," and he's just like, "Hey, uh, you know they get free roof refills on every. It's a great place. It's a great restaurant." No, I wasn't here for Uh, that last episode, but you mentioned the uh, what was the the club? Oh, BK uh, Kids Club. BK Kids Club, and I died laughing. (laughs) Kidvid. So, and do you also call it the BK Lounge? Because well, I, that was, I thought that was something my father would only call it. No, that's uh, it's. I think I, I think I got that mixed up from a stupid uh, like Dane Cook thing or whatever. Because he used to make fun of the. There was like a person that worked. Well, see, at, that I makes know, fun, that shit. makes he sense. Sucks. But see, my father used to call it the BK Lounge when we was trying to make it sound like we were going to eat something more prestigious that night. We would hey, go to the BK Lounge. You know, you you guys are good kids. My my dad didn't have to like uh, you know put any uh, makeup on a Burger King or McDonald's or any fast food because uh, I would eat anything. Uh, so anyway, oh boy. you don't have to go down that dark road. Uh, who wants to do uh, this next story? I'll take it. All right, here you go. I'll take it. I've heard of Under the Dome, but Under the Dumb. During a la- an audience Q&A in Toronto while promoting Sleeping Beauties with his son, Owen, Stephen King discussed what went wrong with the CBS adaptation of Under the Dome. He said, it started off smart and got dumb. I may get some negative feedback 
from the network, but I don't care. So it's he's doing the thing he usually does, which is while well, something's airing, he says it's the best, and then uh, he waits a couple years and then shares how he really yeah. feels. I wonder. I can't wait to hear his uh, audio commentary for the Dark Tower in twenty twenty five. Well, even in two years. Yeah. Well, he actually did already say like why it didn't work. Yeah. He was talking about that recently. Yeah. But uh, speaking of. Ah, he then referenced a line from Stand By Me as he continued to give negative feedback. Oh. <laughs> I know, I'm like, that has <laughs> Sorry, I, to do. I totally jumped the gun. Uh, wagon Train's a really cool show, but did you notice they never get anywhere? They just keep wagon training. Well, people on Under the Dome just kept under the doming. Shows need a beginning, middle, and end. Don't keep on wagon training. That's uh, some good advice oh. there from Cy King. Yeah. And that's pretty much what happened with Lost. Because, well, uh... They've, once they figured out where the wagon train was going, show got good. Yeah, that's true. That's my that's my take. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Or they sometimes solve it too soon. Like uh, David Lynch uh, always talks about when they solved. Uh, well, yeah, Twin Peaks. Laura Palmer. I got to bring everything to Twin Peaks. That's uh, this is just what I do. This is why we get comments about this. I know. <laughs> well, speaking of Twin Peaks, um, there's another peak out there, and it's called the Dark Tower. <laughs> And uh, we got one more, one more Dark Tower. Ooh! At another fan Q and A, King out. was asked whether or not he had plans for another Dark Tower story, and he responded in the most incredibly vague way possible. Yes, I think that may happen. And then we got headlines saying... It was definitely happening. Stephen King writing a new Dark Tower book. Okay. Come now, on, folks. All right. Now, across the board... Now, this is just across the board in the media, it the is. way the media does it this is. these days. These, fake news. These clickbait fake news. But here's the thing. Ive. He's probably going to write another Dark Tower book. If it's even, like, entertaining the idea of it, he's going to do it. So then why, it's not even news. Why are we even printing? Why are we even saying? He, he didn't why? even say he was doing it, really. So why are we... But what is he going to just... the headline? He's going to write a book that takes place between the sixth and seventh books. There's no book to be written after the seventh book. Well, you can make uh, Dark Tower 8. Well, no, he, I don't he, want Dark Tower 8. <laughs> the story's done. <laughs> well, I want Dark Tower 8 that explains what happens now that we had... Because he already made the sequel this summer. It was the Dark Tower movie, <laughs> which they uh, already confirmed that... So now we need another sequel that retcons that and you goes back to the original say. book. Maybe he just publishes the seventh book but calls it Dark Tower 8 That's, and references like all the stuff in the movie. That's uh, the only way that you get... Your Jake Chambers and and Idris is rolling again as if they hey, yeah. Tom, is it, is if they Idris, just say love Tom. it's another cycle it's another I, I just love, turn of the wheel I would love if like the eighth book was just like the book adaptation of the film yeah <laughs> remember be, how they used to always do that yeah. there was always book adaptations of movies well it's like the the great joke that they made when Street Fighter the, when Street Fighter the movie came out there was a game for Sega Saturn that was Street Fighter the movie the game the movie game or whatever oh yeah I which remember is that a movie based on a video game or a video game based on a movie based on a video game like yeah. Jesus what a mind fuck anyway great that game, great game. Raw Julia's best yeah. movie uh, um. SNL with a biting it spoof I love I just have to note I love how this begins because there's no reason that that uh, Justin who compiled these notes had to mention Taron Killam's uh, thoughts on Trump hosting SNL but he just wedged him into the beginning there yeah, just to, just because uh, Justin is not very happy that Trump uh, hosted SNL yeah. yeah well now that we've explained well, now, and it. that they mock him since then uh, in a recent interview, former SNL cast member Taryn Killam said that having Trump on, a, on as a host was, quote, not enjoyable at the time and something that only grows more embarrassing and shameful, shameful as time goes on. No shit. 
Well, the not quite ready for primetime players at SNL added a bit of satire to the it storyline on last week's episode with Kellyanne Conway as the sewer dwelling monster and Anderson Cooper taking over for Georgie. Needless to say, everyone just loved it. I don't know about you two, but I'm not giving up, and neither should you. Oh, boy. Oh, God. So what does Justin think about SNL? Uh, you know, you stopped watching it a little while yeah. ago. Um, I, to be as fair, did I. No, I checked out when I just didn't think it was funny anymore. I just feel like instead of creating funny characters, uh, new characters and scenarios that have nothing to do with anything, uh, just comedy for comedy's sake, <laughs> every single sketch has to be about something like popular. It, it's become yeah. like The Office, the latter seasons of The Office, yeah. where everything was commenting on whatever was popular that week. And also Kate McKinnon needs to play every character yeah. so nobody else gets to do anything. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't even know why I, some I, of the, the smaller cast members are even trying anymore. I don't know. You know I, 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 I do mean, like Kate McKinnon. I do too, but you know she doesn't need to play every role. I mean, but, like, yeah, it's like, a little overexposure there. I mean, now that Ver- Vanessa Bayer is gone, I haven't watched the new season yet, so I imagine they probably have more space. Because I mean, for a while it really was like it was a ranking. It was like Kate McKinnon, then Vanessa Bayer, then A. Bryant, and then Leslie maybe Jones. Leslie Jones, and then uh, I'm trying to think. It was like a toss up between. Um, Oh my god! I can't even name another woman that's on the show. Well, like they they added Sashir Zameda like a couple years ago, and she's been in like you know we'll see yeah, hardly anyone. She's even have a character. Yeah. So I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's disappointing. The show's the show has problems. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, However, the skit. <laughs> What's there to say about it? <laughs> There's nothing. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a funny it's, skit. It, Guess it what? You've probably heard already. Um, anyway. I mean, not heard. You've probably seen it already. Yeah. It's time to take off our glasses now that the sun is set on the not the, so fast. The city of angels. Oh, we what? have a special uh, exclusive that I uh, I brought something back from actual Hollywood. Oh. Uh, I already shared it on the, the on our uh, messages, um, or should I say our um, our text thread, and it didn't really get too much of a reaction. I kind of uh, I did it a little too early. I should have waited until we were all in person. But uh, one of my uh, fellow friends, um, well, she's, uh, she's connected in Hollywood. Let's just say that. Uh, she's a writer. She uh, took a trip to Cuba. And while she was walking around the hotel, she snuggled, stumbled upon... Snuggled? <laughs> she, no, it's not snuggled. She stumbled <laughs> upon a photo. I'm not even joking about this. She stumbled upon a photo hanging up on the wall in this, in this Cuba hotel of Jack Nicholson smiling with his sunglasses on, wearing, like, golf wear, and he's just staring at... It looks almost like he's Photoshopped in. We're going to share this photo on Facebook. It's it's amazing. I was laughing for a good 10 minutes. I could not believe this was real. Uh, it's almost just like The Shining. He's just... He was just in a framed photo that was hanging up in this in this random hotel. I, I love it. Cam... Thank you so much for giving me this, and thank you for giving us this great treat. We're Are we going to post it? We're going to post it. Okay, on Facebook. good. So you're going to have to take a look for it. Um, oh God, I got to see there. this. It's great. Jack is Jack in the way that we like Jack. Jack's back. Jack's back. He's back, and he's bigger than ever. And he's ready for a Lakers game. He's ready. Oh yeah, this is this is like actual Lakers <laughs> style. All he's you missing know, is the jersey. I, I would love to see Jack show up on uh, on the old Castle Rock. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, I'm sure Wouldn't that'll that be happen. great. <laughs> I what was he doing? Anger management too? I think he was supposed to be tied to the next twenty-four. 
What? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> God, how awful Speaking of 24, uh, I think it's time for us to l- review a little movie called 1922. Ooh, yeah. Oh. I like that. That's let's, a good movie. We should probably get into that right now, right? Yeah, let's, uh, let's do it. 1922. Man's pride was man's land. And so was his son. My wife... She wanted us to leave all this behind. We can move. The cities are for fools. We divorce. We both know that's what you want. Life is rarely fair, especially out here. I believe that there's another man inside every man. Conniving man. I'm gonna sell. You, my son, are coming with me. This is our house. In 1922, I murdered my wife. 1922. An American horror drama written and directed by Zach. Hilditch. Zach Hilditch. He is an Australian filmmaker. He uh, was making a lot of movies over in Australia, but he kind of broke through with um, to the American market with a movie called These Final Hours, which was kind of a post-apocalyptic uh, story that I remember getting hearing a lot of buzz about. I've never seen it. I have not seen it either, and I, I really do want to watch it now. Especially. We're bad Zach Hilditch fans. But, uh, yeah, so this is a adaptation of 1922, which was a novella in full dark, no stars. And um, it's a period piece, and it follows – yeah, let, let's get into the hook. What we're dealing with here is kind of one of those classic stories of how one sin begets many sins, yeah. you know, and kind of the the poisonous quality of... It's like the Telltale Heart. Yeah, it's like the Telltale... And, like, there's a lot of direct references to the Telltale yeah. Heart. Yeah, even with the floorboards. <laughs> yeah, and, with the floorboards yeah. and everything. So, so yeah, Thomas Jane stars as a farmer named uh, Wilfred James. James, and he has a wife played by Molly Parker of Deadwood and House Love of Cards, and um, she... Uh, plays Arlette, his wife, and basically she's if she sells her like the part of the farm that her father owes, she'll get like a shitload of money, and a she wants them all to move to Omaha to the big city. But Tom Jane, um, he's not not a city boy. He's, he's not, not a city boy. He's he not says, thrilled with the idea. Yeah, no. he's not into people living in the city, and uh, she wants to take the boy, their son Henry, into the uh, city. But um, and Henry doesn't really want to go either. No. So basically. Uh, in kind of that nobody's willing to budge here. No. So the answer clearly is uh, for dial M for murder, dial M for murder, which is uh, Tom Jane's Wilfred uh, and his son. Uh, basically, Henry. Henry conspire to do some do some bad things. Do, do some, some bad, bad things. things to that a bad, bad thing. I was trying. I was going to see. I was going to pause and see what you bad, guys bad were going to like fill in the gap <laughs> with. So I like that answer. So, yeah, basically, uh, this is not really a spoiler because it's in the trailer and it is kind of the hint linchpin. Literally the, the story. premise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, they kill um, they kill Arletta, throw her in a well. 
bury it in and then try to live their lives. But things don't really go as planned. Because let's not forget, this is a Stephen King story. <laughs> Booyah. Um, Sometimes when you try to bury the past, uh, the past comes, uh, it digs its way out slowly. Hey, sometimes that is better. You might say you. they have some skeletons in the closet. Oh. You might say sometimes they come back. Oh, I, 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 I would say that in this film. I might say that uh, you're not going to be getting any water in this well. So what kind of themes are we playing with in this movie? You know, I, uh, you know, I, I wrote all these, these great notes on uh, my notebook and uh, I left it at home. But um, <laughs> so great job, Mike. Um, great job, Internet. Um, but I, I, my, my thing is, it seems that there's some commentary going on about... Uh, Uber masculinity and oh, yeah. uh, what happens when um, uh, you're no longer in control. And yeah. uh, the, you know, I would actually argue that this is a, this is a feminist movie. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, because I think that uh, what, what Wilfred says is that the only things that were really important to him, like, or at least two men at that time was the land they owned and the child they raised. Yeah. And there's, yeah, and like to your point, there's a part later though when he, yeah, when he is kind of lamenting, he's jealous of one of his neighbors and he's jealous of the quality of his land, the quality of his farm. And, um, uh, but he said he's like most jealous of the fact that this guy has a submissive wife who won't challenge him at all. Yeah. Whereas Arlette challenges him a lot and, um, he can't handle that. And it's interesting that Arlette wants to go to a place of progress and a place their times are changing and that, you know, the Wilford might not actually have some sort of control because, you know, with the land, he tends to the farm. He does, he, he makes sure that everything is, is all under his own control. And there's a lot of allusions in this film to kind of what's actually going on in our country right now. Um, in a sense, not to get all political here, but you see a lot of like, like, like older white men just basically making like decisions on everyone from like women to their children to even the women's children and being uh, very manipulative and very manipulative. Um, and the consequence of the young. of the young. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you see, um, you know, fathers with their daughters and how they control their own fate and destiny and, um, and yeah. And kind of the real, what really separates the story I think is the way that, Wilfred recruits his son into this and basically manipulates his own son to be complicit in this murder. Mm -hmm. And that is very much kind of a sins of the father kind of situation. This sense of passing down something really poisonous about, you know, whether it be an outdated mindset or just kind of an ugly part of you. And so, yeah, so there's a lot of ugliness in this movie. And it, you know, once the film kind of taps open the well of, uh, hey, no pun intended, uh, (laughs) or taps open the vein, I should say, of like, you know, the darkness, it kind of just starts flooding out and it kind of overwhelms the entire movie. So, yeah, and I think that's kind of the point. I think that the um, what we're dealing with here is an exploration of the ways that, you know, one like, you know, if you just poke open that hole of darkness a little bit, it's all going to start gushing out. Yeah. And it's a nasty story. It is very nasty. I was, uh, I was uh, taken aback at how um, visceral this film is. Yeah. You know, um, you know, we're not exactly there on our uh, dissection, but uh, the direction of this film is uh, it, it takes the, the source material very seriously. And yeah. Uh, there isn't a point in this. There's not a lot of humor in this movie. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any humor. No. I mean, that's kind of something I want to talk about a little yeah. later. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I, I mean, in terms of the hook, 
I mean, yeah, I mean, it really is just, it's very old school. Yeah. I mean, it's so simple. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's very Hemingway and very Poe, very, um, just bare bones. Um, and I, I, I kind of respected for that because I mean, look, it's only, I think what, like 145 pages, mm-hmm. I think the novella and he managed to stretch it out to, I think an hour 40, yeah, an hour 40. So yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Well, it's just you that know? the, um, yeah, like they're like what you just said, like they're, the characters do have such a simplicity to them. Yeah. And I think that really works in the favor of the story here. Um, this is very much a, a story that, you know, doesn't have a lot of like, I'm trying to find like, there's, there's, no not, a lot, there's not a lot of bullshit, you no. know, it kind of just trucks along. It's not about building character so much as it is building a world and watching that world kind of crumble. Well, what's interesting about this and it's kind of similar to why I, I think a lot of people gravitate towards Game of Thrones is that um, there is no allusions to history being this glorious place. Mm-hmm. You know, like, look, people always talk about the getting nostalgic for certain times. I think nostalgia actually for any past kind of stops at 1976. But um, with regards to this one, they show how awful it really was living in the early 20th century and just how there's just, it's mis- it was miserable. I mean, like, you know, the, the, the wounds and the, the, <laughs> the transportation, the, the way life was, the way you could pretty much get away with a lot of this type of stuff because nobody knew, I mean, nobody cared and, and, and just that, just how unforgiving everything was in, in life. And I, and I think that's kind of, um, what I like about this, it doesn't feel like uh, a, a period piece for the most part. It, 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 there is a very natural element to it that's very real, and um, and I think that kind of adds a little bit to the horror of it. Because th- to be fair, like this isn't really a horror movie. You know, I, I don't really see it as much of a, as a horror movie uh, as I, I think. I think it's more of a drama than it is a horror movie, though. Personally, like I, I think the way it's shot, it doesn't ver- feel very like horror to me, and like there's I there's think... horror elements to it, but I wouldn't go out and say like. This is a, a straight up horror movie. I really like. I just I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, I think it's it's a it's a horror of a different kind, and it uses horror elements and a ghost story to tell a very uh, uh, sad story. Yeah, very dr- like a, a total drama. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah. Well, in a. I, yeah, like I would say it's a drama with horror elements. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably the best way to look at it. And that reminds me of Dolores Claiborne a little bit and even Gerald's Game. Yeah. Like I think Gerald's Game, I, I don't know about that. I'd say Gerald's Game actually might be more. I, I wasn't expecting this, but what I liked about Gerald's Game was that it was much more of a horror movie than yeah. I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Whereas this was less of a horror movie than I thought it was yeah. going to be. This was definitely very dramatic. Um, you know, it, it has a very like it has a patience to it. It's not exactly. the most like dynamic uh, adaptation you're going to find. It's very old school. It's very, you know, we're moving at the pace of the characters and they live in a very sleepy community. Mm-hmm. But once the sins start racking up, it everything starts to spiral out of control. And I think that's sort of the, the, the suffocation of that, the, the weight of that really, I think is felt. And that's where I think Hilditch really succeeds. I agree. So why don't we talk about the characters a little bit? Um, how did we respond to, uh, we can say we're going to do a whole section on our boy Tom Jane, but let's yeah. talk about the minor characters, the other characters that stood out to us. Well, Dylan Schmidt's Henry James is a big key role in this, mm-hmm. you know, and I think when you're going to actually have kid roles in movies, you always have a hurdle to jump because they can just 
go off the rails and be wrong, like, and just be annoying and cloying and too precocious. And obviously this kid's a little bit older than most young kids in movies, but I I thought Dylan Schmidt did a really good job in this. Um, and I think that his, his character is interesting to me. Um, because I do wish that there was a little bit more to why he turns so easily, but at the same time, um, he, his, his frustrations, his teenage frustrations seem real to me, you know, his rebellious nature. You know, I think right from the get go though, they do a good job of, of showing just how completely dedicated and in line he is enamored with his father. Yeah. And He's a father's and at, son. The, at the dinner table, he just immediately agrees with him for only for the reason, I mean, for no other reason than just to agree with his father. And I think that played a big key role in, in the rest of that, you know, sequence. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a couple of good points. Like he, and also he's raised in, um, you know, obviously his father is raising him to be like, be a man. Yeah. Uh, you know, men have power, women don't. And, um, you know, you need to make the decision that's best for the family and things of that nature. But also they don't shy away from the fact that Arlette is also not like a p- horribly pleasant person. Yeah. And yeah. Um, she says some shit to Henry that, you know, you can see why he has a lot of resentment for her. But, you know, it's, you know, uh, when you're that young, it's you're also so easily manipulated, you know. It's interesting, though, because in that scene, uh, you, you know, uh, Tom, Tom Jane, <laughs> his character, is he's getting her really drunk in order to get her to say some of this stuff. You know what I mean? I don't think that yeah. she would normally just be, like, talking. That's a good like, point. You know I am saying? Like, she is that. sloshed. Yeah. And so, I mean, I agree with you to one extent. I think that she probably isn't, like, the greatest person. I mean, I'm not, you know, maybe, obviously, you know, it takes two. Yeah. Um, they just don't like each other, obviously, at this point in their lives. But um, I don't think uh, I don't think she deserves to get killed because well, I love no, Molly well, Parker. Nobody deserves <laughs> to be killed. But <laughs> I, I really like Molly Parker a lot. Um, so I was really happy that she was in this. And I think she does a great job. And and, uh, and I, I especially I, like Ghost, uh, Ghost Arlette. Love Ghost Arlette. Um, Creepy. I, I, I appreciate that there's a gray area to, to her character, though, um, because it would have been so easy to make her be this just very stern mother and she isn't she's she's got some sort of like selfish attributes to her she wants you know it's it's, it's actually very similar to um uh kind of similar to uh camber's wife and cujo um you know she just wants her own life and yeah, you know she has her son that she's trying to take with her i mean it's very it's actually very similar to the camber situation yeah. if you think about it you have the, the the family three dynamic which the the boy the father's son who you know the mother wants to take away from this farm life and take him to the big city and have this sort of newer life for herself absolutely and she has every right to do that because look you know i mean who the hell wants to and she's be come- trapped on the farm with in a loveless marriage with a with the kid that's probably going to you know dis, you know despise her also and she's so. coming to some money yeah i mean it's, it's I mean, very it's very much that same story it's except, interesting uh instead of cujo we've got elvis yeah the cow elvis the cow <laughs> Elvis the cow is probably a great uh, when we're talking about that's zeros, the character I wanted to talk about. Yeah, let's let's talk about Elvis for a second. Well, no, I'll just say <laughs> that uh, Elvis. I, I I will say though that Hilditch has a, and we'll get we're going to talk more about his direction. But like, there was a way that he shot that cow, it, like near the end of the movie. I'm not going to spoil anything. Where there was such humanity there. And it looks so striking to see like a huge, massive cow in yeah. a living room. Yeah. 
and that the way that like the stillness of the shot and the way it was shot, there was an uncanny nature to it, but also a humanity like within the cow's eyes. And I know cows are like the stupidest animals, Mm -hmm. but that to me was, um, you know, another sign of like how really well realized this world was. Yeah. But in terms of character, I'll say that, um, I thought that there was a neat little, you know, sort of parallel journey that we saw with, uh, Neil Neil, Neil McDonough. McDonough. I love seeing Neil McDonough in this movie because he's a great actor, and I love he he plays like love he's him. in some of the shittiest movies. Like, I know, but he's in everything. I know, like he's in Paul Blart Mall Cop Two, the sequel. Blart Two is great. He's, in, he's also in the Legend of Chun Li. I think he plays M. Bison. He's in season five of Arrow, but then he's on Justified. He's also you in know, Band I mean, of Brothers. Yeah, I mean he he's he's in a yeah. ton of stuff, but I I I, I love the guy. Yeah, well, I just thought that he didn't have a ton of screen time, but I thought that, you know, his journey, his in in the ways that his journey parallels and kind of serves as a foil in some ways to Wilfred's journey, I found very effective. And I think a lot of that has to do with Neil McDonough. You've got such a great kind of ringer actor there. And I when I there was a scene between him and Tom Jane where I was kind of just thinking, I'm like, here's like two of the most like unheralded guys in Hollywood because they're they're both like, you know, I mean, I know it's kind of silly to uh, to use a phrase like blue collar actor because, you know, I agree with actors are making cash. But it's like they're the kind of guys who totally could carry things. Mm -hmm. But they're very often relegated to sort of, um, you know, B picture fare or, you know, movies that you got to do to pay the bill sometimes. And, you know, Thomas Jane was on hung. He was carrying that show and he was almost Rick Grimes. Yeah, it would have been a great Rick Grimes. He would have been an amazing. And there's some uh, imagery in this uh, this movie that will make you uh, see the real Rick Grimes, actually. (laughs) <laughs> um, I will tell you that. Um, I, I agree. I always think about that. That that scene is wonderful with be, between the two of them um, when everything's pretty much just gone to shit. And I, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, like the, the they both do kind of like exist on the fringe, mm-hmm. and they do have this kind of like moment together. That's a, that's actually. I wonder if that was intentional. I wish I could have. Uh, wish we would have asked uh, uh, Mr. Holditch that. Too late now. It is too late. It's too late, baby. Now it's too late. Well, there but. wasn't that many characters, but uh, Mac, was there any other character that you know stood out to you that you'd like to talk about? Molly Parker. Uh, yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> but what, no, I already mentioned her, her, but now. no, I, 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 she's only in a, a, a small portion of this, but sets it up so well and. It, I, I just, I, I really, I just really like her yeah. a lot. It was and, a very physical it's performance. A really, too. It's a very subtle uh, performance, but um, I mean, in a, in a great way. And I really uh, was excited about, you know, zombie, zombie Arlette. I mean, I just thought it was a really terrifying image, and you yeah. can, you that that can that can fail a lot. I feel, you know, and it's also just kind of a, something that's been done a billion times. It has, yeah. But the way that some of these scenes were shot um, and lingered on something that's may or may not be there is is just I really liked it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, Cemetery. Is there anything, any scares that we can discuss uh, that aren't spoiling? I guess we can talk in broad terms. Yeah, I thought the sound design in this movie sound is design phenomenal. Is That's what kind of really gets me. Like and the we should, slamming of the doors, yeah. the, the scurrying of the rats, um, and even there's the like, kind of wind effects in it are yeah. really eerie. And there's like a heavy, 
there's a heaviness to the score itself. Like yes. there's a lot of strings and a lot of funereal kind of sounds. But then there's a lot, and this is where um, the the composer of this movie was Mike Patton from yeah. Faith No More and Mr. Bungle, Mr. Bungle and Phantomus and like a hundred other bands. A ton, so many. We'd be here all night if we listened. Yeah, to and he, so he's a really weird industrial experimental, uh, you know, and even symphonic musician who's you know I think considered by a lot in the music industry as kind of a you know a jack of all trades but his style is a little bit abrasive for most people but that works in this movie and in a lot of the movies that what? I think he's he's done because there's like I remember there's this like kind of like crackling or like you know like um there's like a percussive element that happens at one point that is very precise, but also very much like an, it's almost annoying. It's yeah. like somebody tapping on wood, like right next to your ear. Well, it's very similar to there will be blood. Um, the yeah. jo- Johnny Greenwood score for that movie is kind of all, I mean, actually the whole film, the DNA of this film is very similar to that movie actually. But, um, there's a lot of dread in the score. Yeah. And, and we were talking, you and Mac, you'd said it, you, it kind of reminds you a little bit of lost in some, some areas like Michael Gacchiano. Um, Oh yeah. The main, the main Giacchino. theme is, is like one note away from being <laughs> a lost theme, but, yeah. uh, you know, you, you get, you get past it. If you don't know lost, you would have no clue and yeah. it's not going to hinder the film at all. Yeah. The biggest Greenwood, uh, thing I think is there's kind of those screeching strings yeah. that kind of, you know, very much evoke madness and, uh, you know, the idea that your mind is being ravaged by something. Um, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, it's exactly what's happening. It's a great description. And so the score really does a nice job of of doing that. But, but I'll also say that, um, I think I saw one or two tiny moments of CGI, but overall though, it was mostly practical effects with, um, some really grotesque imagery and a lot of it involving animals, uh, which is, makes it a little extra like visceral in a lot of ways. And the, 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 the wounds and like what, like when you actually see the gore, it's not played to a way that kind of gross you out. It, 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 I mean, it does, but it's just played as like as real. Yeah. I mean, like when you when you see like there's a, a wound that he gets on his hand is really Ugh, that's so gross, disgusting. They, they, just, think, yeah. they just nothing really happens with that. They just linger on it long yeah. enough for you to be just as uh, put off as he is about it. You know, but there's also like that shot of like the water going gushing on over it and like, like liquor and everything. It's like, anytime I see like, just, I just imagine like cold, sharp water, just like, like going right on the wounds. Just like, ah, oh, that sucks. Yeah. And like, um, I guess what I find interesting is that out of the three Stephen King movies that have come out of late, uh, Gerald's Game and 1922 are the ones that really succeed in terms of gore and effects. Like as much as it, I love it and it's really good, but it's like, it's not a movie that I found especially visceral or, um, like it's, I I found it very powerful and scary at times, but you know, there was a lot of CGI in that movie that I think hinders it a little. And whereas there's been so like the, the, the ingenuity and the kind of, you know, cover your peek through your fingers, nature of Gerald's game. And 1922 is something that I was so impressed by with these. Well, there's also a, a more like lingering Kubrickian style of, uh, dread that comes from this movie and it's all about the themes of like heaven and hell and i i think you know there there's a great monologue at the end of this this film that deals with uh the heaven and hell is actually used in the trailer but um the, just the whole concept of being damned and yeah. we talked about that in the stand uh podcast a lot with like regards to nadine, nadine and harold yeah. and, and all but like 
there that is never I, so many movies shy away from that because they kind of show some sort of like slight sliver. There's always a silver lining that gets some sort of redemption, some kind of hope. But there's none of that here. There really isn't. And like, and that's not so much of a spoiler as it is just knowing what you're expecting for this movie because it is a it's it's a it's a weight on the head. It's bleak, um, and that's and that's kind of this mo- this the most most unnerving portion of it. I mean, I was up a little bit after watching this last night, admittedly, yeah. just because I was just so like w- not worked up, but just like I couldn't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's just a, there's just like the isolation mixed with yeah. The, I mean, isolation is a huge part of it, also, but just like the the concept of how far you're willing to go. And how how much you're willing to swallow, and how much you're not able to, and the pointlessness it of it all. You know, yeah. what I mean, like it, yeah. that's it's kind of touching on what Fargo did. You know, yeah. I kept thinking, well, like, it's very Fargo. Yeah, thematically, yeah. there was a lot of Coens in this. Like, obviously, totally. not filmmaking wise, but um, there was a lot of Coens, uh, sort of the you know, shining a light on the pointlessness of of. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of a better word than crime because, you know, it's like then it's like crime doesn't pay. But it's yeah. just like it is ultimately this whole idea. And this is a resonant thing in the book is that whole idea is, you know, everybody gets caught eventually. And um, the general specter of, you know, why we commit crimes often, you know, it's something that seems so enticing or so necessary when it happens. But then you think of all the other things you could have done. And it's like, why did I choose this route? Yeah. And that's a really powerful thing in the movie that yeah. we see. It's like, why choose this route you know and that points to kind of the inherent idea of whether or not we are as humans evil like are we born good are we born evil you know yeah which you know ties into themes of being doomed and whatsoever but and i guess that leads us i think in a nice way to our little tom jane section just because um i think what's difficult about a movie like this is that our main character is essentially a really despicable person Mm -hmm. i mean we're dealing with somebody who um, there's not a lot redeemable about him, uh, aside from the fact that he is, you know, a simple man who values hard work and, um, uh, clearly does love his son, but at the same time, you know, he's doing a lot of awful shit without seeming to feel too bad about it. Most of what we're watching is guilt. I mean, obviously, you know, he feels bad later, but we're seeing a lot of guilt and a lot of, you know, like haunting with him. But at the same time, it doesn't seem like he is all that mournful of what well, he did to his because wife. he's played with contempt. Yeah. So you have he has this sort of like boiling the simmering rage, but not boiling simmering rage within him where he feels like he's, you know, glorious for doing or glorified to do this. Like, I mean, there, I think there's there, I mean, he says it himself that, you know, how could there, how could we go to hell when this is, you know, she's taking away our heaven basically. I mean, yeah. that's basically what she says to, um, he says to the kid to, you know, have him, um, come along manipulate with him. him. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, obviously it, we, this is the downward spiral of, of knowing what the consequences to your actions and, and understanding those, 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 you know what you did because here, here's a thing that I, and this is one one of the reasons why I also really love this uh, this film and the story. So often when we see villains or any antiheroes, they 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 know what they've done they're doing at the time, and so because we we feel like I mean I feel a lot of screenwriters have this insistency to show that oh no no they 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 know what they're doing is bad but they're going to still do it because there's there's it gives them some sort of pathos but i feel like in real life 
most of the time when people make bad decisions, they have no idea they realize it until afterwards. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of mm. like, you know, when you, you're, you know, manipulated by some sort of passion and all of a sudden when all that subsides, you're like, oh fuck, like there's the sobering period comes in and this whole movie is a sobering period basically. I mean, he knows, he knows that he's doing something bad, but. I don't think that he realizes that he's going to regret it. No. And I think there's a great moment in the movie, I won't spoil it, where um, he definitely, all of a sudden, just it's a shocking moment uh, for him. And uh, he sells it. And that's the thing I love about Tom Jane in this movie is that he really... Uh, disappears in this role. I feel like this is the first time he's really done, like, it's almost like a caricature. Yeah. But but it, it it never lets up. He never slips out of it. And... I, re- I really appreciated that. I yeah, agree. I guess like my early point, like leading off that was just that we're dealing with a character who is inherently and you articulated that really well, just that concept of not understanding the weight of what you're doing. And that's, I think, what makes his performance so powerful is that he always is in touch with the humanity of his character, even when he, you know, he's convinced that he's doing the right thing for him and his son the entire time. But also, yeah, like Jane really disappears in the role and he has like a very specific way of speaking. He kind of speaks through his his clenched mouth and he has a very specific way of moving. And there's a a scene where we see kind of like a vintage photo of him and the family. Yes, I was thinking. And he looks like it, like I could see my. Parker and the son, like they kind of look like, you know, modern day people dressed up in kind of old timey garb. Whereas if you that like the look of Jane in that photo genuinely looks like a photo from like the 1800s. You know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I had I didn't really notice it the first time around. But when I was talking to actually uh, Zach Hilditch from the interview earlier today, he mentioned that. Because he Tom Jane tends to go method with a lot of his performances, but he really went with this one. And apparently, I guess he has background. Um, his background, he has a lot of like family members that grew up on farms, and so he connected with the role and everything. Um, but prior to this, he was looking up, like pouring through old photos oh, and wow. all this other stuff. So that looking on ahead, you're right. He that that he does something with his face, where it's almost like a yeah, like a, a it's like the best way to describe it is garrulous. Almost yeah. like it, it's very like a it's a weird face. But that's what's so spooky about a lot of those older photos because I, I don't the concept of taking photos was so new back then that I feel like nobody really knew exactly how to kind of put themselves out there. So I feel a lot of portraits are actually very jarring sometimes because it's or the, because they look most of the time ostensibly a lot of those people are probably just awkward as hell because they don't know what the fuck am I supposed to do? Yeah, well, they're told photo. to stand still for yeah. so long. They're not necessarily smiling. They're not you know. It's all very. Yeah. You know, calculated. Well, they're probably agitated, and yeah. he looks like that way. Whereas in the movie. Molly Parker looks like she's like posed so perfectly and like <laughs> such a babe in that photo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is supposed to be because well, there's a point, I guess, because later on you actually she, he's like haunted by that that I think that um, that image. Her yeah. Point, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. But either way, it, he I agree. He absolutely disappears in this role. I I would. If we're gonna go through, look, we're gonna have a Thomas Jane section here, um, which we already do, but. If we're looking through all his roles in the past, including his ones for the king, I gotta say this: this might be his best role. The best well, in performance. terms of pure acting, yeah, yeah. like yeah. he's yeah, really absolutely. committed to yeah. this. 
Like he, Tom Jane doesn't often get the chance to really disappear in a character. No. He usually plays straight men, yeah. like every, you know, every man, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, unless he's like, wait, did he actually play Punisher or is that? He did. No, he, he did. did. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. then didn't he do like the short thing? The too? short film that he did, which is a passion project. Yeah, which I heard was awesome. It's love great. that. I've never Great. seen it. But, still love it. Yeah. But, you know, but even then you're still not disappearing that much. No, no. Um, I mean, so he's yeah. playing the muscly action hero, which gr- granted he's great at. Yeah. And he's actually one of my favorite like action heroes, if not my favorite action Deep hero Lucy, of the past baby. 20 years. Hey, to be fair, I, I remember seeing Deep Blue Sea as a joke in 99 <laughs> with my, 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 my cousin and walking up being like, who the fuck was that actor? He's awesome. Like, I want to see Todd him Parker more from stuff. Boogie Nights. He is Todd Parker from Boogie Nights. <laughs> and which... Todd Parker and Boogie Nights is in the top three, at least, of his best performances. I love him in that movie. Amazing <laughs> in that film. Um, but, yeah, this seems to be Jane, like, 90s Thomas Jane, when he would actually do a little bit more of, like, the fringe roles, because that's clearly what he was getting. He was trying to, you know, obviously wave his hands and be like, hey, you know, this is I'm Tom Jane. I um, just I just feel like there's so much of this movie that is literally just him, and he's able to carry it in such an interesting way. Yeah. You know, it felt at one point I, I w- it felt like where I was watching, you know, Tom Hanks and Castaway. Like I could just watch, I could just watch him. Mm-hmm. The, like it could have just been him the whole movie talking about this stuff that happened, yeah. and and I, I would have been just as captivated because it's, he really gives it his all on this one. Well, he's never not interesting the entire movie. Yeah, I mean, he really isn't. I mean, it, it's 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 unreal. I mean, he the the. And it's we had mentioned I had mentioned earlier that you know Molly Parker's performance is physical, but this is a very physical performance from him. I mean, first off, he's ripped, <laughs> I was absolutely say. ripped. I mean, I, I we're watching the movie and Mike just says Tom Jane is absolutely ripped. He's forty eight years old, <laughs> and which isn't actually that old. Well, he looks farm. He looks farm strong, but he, yeah, yeah, he's farm yeah. strong. He's got the tan. Yeah, man. I mean, he's weathered. His hair is, looks great. I mean. I melt. I melt with you. I, I melt for. Uh, Tom I melt Jane. for Tom Jane. Um, either way, <laughs> I I got to put this high, high, high on uh, on his uh, on his ranking list. On the Jane ranking. On the Jane. The ranking. Jane ranking. And 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 I and that that's what's so interesting. I'm <sighs> glad they got him for this role. Yeah. Because and so many other like I'm trying to think of some other actors that could possibly like have done would they like they Michael Shannon would have been really good Michael Shannon would have been interesting yeah. but he would have gone you know, full evil Michael Shannon would have been I feel like he's been he's done that role a billion yeah. times you know what I mean so yeah. I was interested in seeing like I saw the trailer for this I just thought oh wait I was like that, is that Tom Jane speaking you yeah know, I just felt like I was like oh this is gonna be really interesting for him it's like Jeff Nichols did this with uh, Michael Shannon uh, you know it killed my wife <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of directors like Jeff Nichols, let's talk about Zach Hilditch. Yeah. Uh, we've talked a lot about him already, but I guess I just want to point out specifically that he has such an eye for com- like, you know, uh, scene composition yes. and tableau and oh kind of God. building like there are some, you know, establishing shots of the farm mm-hmm. from that, are you know, are kind of encompassing the entire farm that are just like strikingly beautiful. Like, I wish yeah. we could be seeing this on the big screen. I agree. Because um, and well, Dan got to. He did. Yeah. And, and, and let me just say bring it back to what you were saying earlier about how these movie this and gerald's game succeeded where it did not and i think it's because you know it when you're given all the money and all the backing and all the elements to make your film it doesn't mean it's going to be a good film and i feel like gerald's game and 1922 are very simple films that tell very straight simple stories and i mean this is a very I'd still, simple I'd still story. put it above Gerald's game for me. 
I'm not saying yeah. in terms of which movie's better. I'm saying yeah, that, that yeah. in terms of being uh, in terms of scares and the use of CG, the use of storytelling, yeah. I think that these that 1922 and Gerald's Game are able to set a tone that is just unnerving yeah. all the way through. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Whereas it, I didn't feel did that. I loved the uh, story see, with the kids. See, I love the story with the kids, but I just didn't think it was scary all the way see, through. See, my my thing, the reason why I thought it was. The, the thing that I thought was scary about it was nothing to do with the clown, but the town itself. I thought that they, these kids were never safe the entire movie. And the entire time I was on the edge of my seat wondering like, what is going to hurt them next? And so that was, that, that's where I thought it was scary. But I, here's the well, thing. I, I guess, agree. I guess my point, I guess what, I, what I'm really trying to say is the fact that these, these two movies, you know, like this movie doesn't have a lot of CGI in it. And the thing that I like about that is that you don't need it. Yeah. And when you don't have all the money to do all the CGI in the world, you have to, you're forced to be creative in a way that pushes you into yeah. an, an arena that a lot of great filmmakers have been in the past, you know, when, when you're just starting out or, 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 or whatever it might be, I just feel like it, it censorship in, in that arena in terms of money or yeah. whatever, I feel like it forces you to get creative and some of the shots and some of the things in this movie, the way that it's done, some of the creepy moments, it's just the camera lingering on something a little too long or whatever. Yeah. Those are the things that scare me. I, I guess I just, I'm not scared by, you know, like it's mouth becoming. Yeah. No, CG and that's, I'm seconds. not even, yeah, I, I mean, I, I just, the CGI stuff of it is, is probably, is, is the only real negative drawback I have in the whole movie actually. I but, agree. I agree. Um, the thing with the, the, the thing that I thought saved it was that they actually did have a lot of the, the wide open establishing shots and like a lot of the, the patients. But the problem is, is that the main scares, and I agree with you, like the main, the more mainstream scares, it's like, well, it's easy to just throw in CGI and go fast and super juggernaut with yeah. it. Whereas with this one, yeah, you're right. I mean, some of the scariest parts of this is the stuff that we don't see, you know, like when he's laying in bed and you see something that's at the doorway, but you don't see exactly what's at the doorway, which is terrifying. And, 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 you know, patience really is the key word here for this movie because yeah. I mean, it is, it is a very slow film. I think a lot of people coming in and seeing Stephen King on the top of it are going to even, I mean, it's much slower than Gerald's game. I think that people are going to be like, Oh, another Stephen King movie. I got to see this. And I think there are going to be a contingent of people that might not like it because it is so slow paced. I mean, it, this shares more of a Stephen King adaptation with Frank Darabont's ad- view of uh, Stephen King. I'd say it's very like with green mile pacing. Yeah, I <laughs> know no, it is. And, yeah. and, and, and I mean, even over, I mean, even Shawshank's a little bit faster than this. Um, I mean, it's very patient and, um, that's why, I, yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson comes to mind. Like, I think there's a lot of, uh, the Coens in mm-hmm. there for sure. The use of silence, uh, yeah. in, in, in some, some areas and just the, the plotting itself. Um, it, I was blown away by how much he was able to do with so little, with so much, so little money. Cause you could tell it's, it's, it's a, it's a very minimal budget. I mean, even with the sequence with the well and the cow, you don't actually see the ramifications of that probably because of the budget, Yeah, and, but it makes it so much, but better. it doesn't matter. It makes it so much better. Yeah. Exactly. That's why I just, it, and again, less is more, less is more, less well, that, is more. That's the case in everything with Hollywood. Cause if you go back, even look at Raiders of the Lost Ark, they had like not a huge budget either on that compared to what they did with like the second one or the, the later ones. And the same thing with the first Star Wars and both of those movies are, cons- are easily the, the best ones in the sense, because I mean, I, I mean, obviously we love Empire, but you go back and look at Star Wars and they had no, they, they had no budget compared to the other ones. But and they, that's but why they it their became imagination. so good because yeah. they had to get so creative and think outside yeah. the box. 
But anyways, yeah. we really like the director. We thought he did a really good Look, job. And uh, if you want to hear about it, <laughs> stay tuned. Fair warning. Interview. I, there is a little bit of gushing on this, this interview because we did talk about, I did, you know, talk about, uh, how I really appreciated his vision for King. Cause I mean, if that's what we're talking, that's what we're talking about conceivably on the Scott podcast is how they adapt King. Yeah. And I think that he, I mean, I haven't read 1922, but in terms of just grappling with the style of King and how King loves to indulge in the old horror, which clearly this is an homage to, um, I feel like he got those beats perfectly in terms of... In, in well, the running theme, I think, with... Because we've interviewed all the directors now yeah. of these last three movies, and the running theme kind, kind of seems to be, like, we have a reverence for Stephen King. Yeah. Like, whereas the people in the 80s and even the 90s really didn't. Well, think about the, the directors in the past before this new renaissance that really did, did it well. Darabont, Reiner, both of them are indebted to the King. King. I mean, King Reiner fans, started yeah. a production company based on King's work. Like, I mean... It's not it's not surprising that those are the best ones that that were there. I mean, Pet Cemetery is up there also because King wrote the goddamn screen, screenplay and ushered in the, a lot of the things. Not that that always works, but you know, in that case, I guess it did. But I, I, yeah, I, I agree. I think reverence to Stephen King. You have to know what makes him tick. And I think you put it when we were talking to um, oh God, Andy Machete. Yeah, and you said you can't see him as dollar sign. Yeah. You have to see him as an actual like. Author. Yeah, he's a writer. Yeah, you know. So I mean, like, I, yeah, which sounds silly, but it's true. Uh, so let's pivot on over to a place we like to call King's Dominion. I think there's one pretty big, obvious one here, and yeah. not much else in this regard. But uh, Mac, where does this movie take place? Hemingsford home. Yeah. It's Hemingford home, not Hemingsford oh, uh, home. Sorry. Stupid, uh, stupid I'm a idiot. little distracted. I, I pulled up my phone and it has the cast here and Molly Parker showed up. So <laughs> She's such a babe. She's Love a babe. I, uh, I thought there was one more that I wrote down in my notebook. I can't remember what it is now. Oh, no. Um, oh, wait. What was well, the one Cujo, we were joking Cujo, about? Cujo shows oh, yeah. up. <laughs> we were joking that Cujo's mother... Which wouldn't even make any what? sense. <laughs> I didn't oh, even we, catch that. No, I think we were. Well, no, no, we were saying. Nah, no, we were saying that Thomas Jane was going to turn into Cujo because of a bite. <laughs> I'll just say this: that the reason I think I don't think we're ever going to be able to watch another Stephen King movie uh. without making a reference about Cujo being in it because because the Dark Tower announced that Cujo is going to be in the Dark Tower. We wrote an entire fucking story about it on yeah. COS and it was like Cujo will be in the Dark Tower and then we watched Dark Tower and it was literally you saw a St. Bernard yeah. in New York and City just walking the streets in New just York. walking the streets and so now the running joke is yeah. well you know Cujo will uh, hopefully we'll see a St. Bernard you know how many Bernese mountain dogs I see in this block in our neighborhood all the time all oh the my time. gosh I'll tell you what I was in the park the other day and there was a giant Giant. I mean, it, it was it was probably what I imagine like, like the beast from Sandlot. Oh, that's you know scary. I mean, like it was that big. Yeah, uh, unreal. And did you go Cujo? I said Cujo. True, true story. Cujo. I remember seeing uh, uh, what, what is it? Sandlot, like with my aunt, and running to my house from the car when she dropped me off because I was worried a dog was going to come and get me. You loser. I know, such a loser. Um, should we... The, there is another one that I wrote down. I cannot remember it for the life of me right now, unfortunately. Another connection to yeah, the King? Yeah, there was something else and I just cannot remember it. For, uh, there was... Was Because Tom James another King No, movies? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I can't remember it. But anyway, 
Um, let's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, let's move over to overall thoughts. Yeah. And then we're going to pop into a brief spoiler section where we're going to share um, some thoughts that you're not going to want to listen to if you haven't watched the movie. Yeah. So, but so yeah. Well, let me just cite here that at 9.20 at 7.35 p.m., Randall already gave his review for oh, 1922. Yeah. He gave it five bright red Pennywise clown noses. Randall... Is that still holding true? For I me? can't. I can't even remember how that happened initially. <laughs> like I know it was on a needful tweets. I think, but um, the funny thing is, Justin already made it clear that I can't change my rating. <laughs> um, so on nine twenty at seven thirty five p.m., I gave nineteen twenty two five bright red Pennywise clown noses. If I wasn't locked in to the five, I would probably give this three and a half uh, bright red Pennywise clown noses because I love I really like the movie. I love the approach, the reverence. I love Tom Jane's performance. The visuals are beautiful. But man, this is like it's this thing is like putting on 10 wool blankets. You know, it's like it is a heavy, heavy thing. And it is. And I mean, the thing is, it suits the material, so I'm not knocking it necessarily, but it's kind of a joyless film. It is a joyless film. It is. It is like dreary as hell. I can't. I think maybe we kind of laughed once or twice. And, you know, because we were making stupid inside jokes. (laughs) But it was, you know, it was it's a really solid uh, movie that really gets under your skin, I think, in terms of. Uh, in the same way that I think a story like Telltale Heart gets under your skin, you yeah. know, this concept of the way that guilt and not just guilt, but I guess just kind of like, you know, I don't know, unforgivable sins. Like when you commit these acts that, you know, are a betrayal of not just everything you believe in, but also of your family and also just of kind of human nature. And it really raises these questions of like, you know, why as humans do we so often resort to the most evil means to achieve the things that we want? And those are really resonant themes, but man, it is not a place I want to linger in too long. Um, And it's not like I need all my horror to be upbeat a little bit, but I do think the movie maybe uh, felt a little overly suffocating at times. And um, I guess just for that reason, I, you know, it wasn't uh, my favorite, my most enjoyable Stephen King film. I think we should all go around and say out of it, Gerald's Game and uh, 1922, how how do we rank those? Because they kind of all came out. They're all kind of symbols of good prestige King. Um, So for me, my ranking would be Gerald's Game is my favorite of the three. Mm. Uh, It and then 1922. So but I loved them all. I think they're all great. But I can't give it three and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses because I already gave, gave my five. review. Well, guess what? You're not going to be too alone in your uh, fictitious uh, ranking because I'm going with 4.5 for this. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. I really wow. am. I, I, I love that it's so bleak and I love that it's so dark and I love that they went there. Um, I actually, the there's only one real main criticism I have with it and I, I, I'll mention it in the spoiler section, but... Um, and I, and you were, I already told you guys about it. Like when we were, yeah, when we were watching yeah. the sequence, I mean, here's the thing. I absolutely agree with you a hundred percent because even the second time watching it today, cause I, I watched it in less than I've watched it twice in less than 24 hours <laughs> at this point, but here's the, the thing. And I never, I don't really ever want to watch this movie again, but <laughs> the thing is it is, it's so good at what it wants to do. Yeah. And I can't, I really can't find a, too many faults with it on there because if they would have injected any humor, I think it would have been disingenuous. And if they would have, 
gone too far on on certain areas that I don't want to get too spoilerific on it. I, I feel like it would have just been uh, just a, a little too maudlin for me. I like that it doesn't get ever get too treacly. I, I like that it, yeah. it, it's very. It's very brutal. It's very, it's very, it's a very Catholic movie. <laughs> it reminds me of all my, all this stuff that I would learn in high school of like, you know, like the eyes at the, what is it? Sinners in the hands of an eye of oh, yeah. God. Like yeah, yeah. that sort of like the principles of religion where there are just no, there's no argument. It's, this is it. This is what's going to happen. And you're fucked. Yeah. And, and like just the, the acceptance of that from the characters and how they have to get to that. It's uh, it's chilling stuff. I mean, and, and it's it definitely makes you kind of wrestle with some things. And I mean, I I was up. It definitely it, it affected me in a way that I, that that a, a horror movie or, a, or not a horror movie, but a psychological thriller hasn't in a while. And um, for that, yeah, I mean, four and a half for me. And look, a lot of that is bumped up because of my my boy Tom Jane. So uh, no, uh, it's, like, it's like it's like it's like if Tom Jane's and it gets like automatically like two stars. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, I, I like Crow City of Angels because he's in it. <laughs> oh God, uh, I am gonna give it um, a, a much brighter uh, red Pennywise clown nose, uh, a, a three and a three and a half, but. I'm putting a more brighter, a bright spin on it than Randall did because in my rating system, three and a half is actually very good. No, and it, and, it is. Uh, it is. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, no, I'm, I'm giving it a three and a half as well. I say this because I, when I'm grouping it with every other King movie out there, there's just, I know there's movies better and I can't give them all fives. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I can't really, there's not really much else I can say that you guys haven't already said. I think it, it, it excels extremely at what it's trying to do. Um, I, I really enjoyed the performances. I thought the direction was great. The music's great. And, and I thought the script was really well done. And, and, you know, again, when we're talking about capturing the feel of Stephen King, um, this feels more like Stephen King than, you know, a lot of things have in the past. And, I really appreciate that. And I have not read the short story, the novella. And I, so, yeah, I absolutely appreciated the fact that it still felt like Stephen King to me, yeah. even though I haven't read it. Yeah. It didn't even need to. I'm, I'm interested I, someone in could just come, Someone could have just given this to me and not, and I had not known that Stephen King and then walked out going, oh yeah, that was Stephen King. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm giving it three and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses. Um, How do you rank uh, the three movies that have come out? Well, we got to, I mean, look, we have to include Dark Tower also. So obviously that's at the bottom. Yeah, right? that's yeah at Dark Tower's at the bottom. Even though Randall and I were pretty much the most positive ones coming out of that movie. I was very defensive of it because I felt it was too easy to yeah, just pile on I agree, it. I agree. And uh, I was determined to look at it in context. Yeah. But I will having say, said that. <laughs> by having said that, yeah. it is by far the worst of these four yeah, movies. Yeah, <laughs> I think, I, I, you know, I can't remember off the top of my head what I gave it, but... I think they're all kind of like on the same playing field. It's weird for yeah. me. I, th- I, I, there's things that I, I will say this. No, I would say 1922 in terms of personal enjoyment, 1922 Gerald's game it. Wow. And it's because there are things in Gerald's game that scared the shit out of me that it did not do. And 1922 did not do, but 1922 scared me in a different way. Yeah. In a, in a, in a moral way. In ways that will haunt you the, for a in while. In ways that will haunt you. Yeah. And 
I really appreciate that, you know, again, you know, King isn't just good at one kind of scare. And I, and I like that we get that from all these, but, um, although they're, they're not, they're very close in ranking, but I I would say, and and if that, if I had to choose an order, I would go with that order. Well, and the inevitable director's cut of, uh, Gerald's game in which, uh, Mike Flanagan sobers up and realizes (laughs) that he shouldn't be beholden to the text and include that awful coda. Gerald's game will absolutely (laughs) float too up to the top. But, uh, for me, it's gotta, yeah, it's gotta be 1922. It, uh, Gerald's game and Dark Tower for me. I Gerald that ending is just fucking abysmal and it kills me because that whole movie is just great leading up to that. It's yeah. if they would have just ended right when uh all right anyway. It, <laughs> it kills me. It still it still bothers me. Like because it's like I've it, it, the best the best example I could give is the the Seattle Seahawks like total f- fuck up at the the Super Bowl a couple of years ago where they literally had the whole game and, and the, the the game in their pocket and they decide to not uh, give it to Marshawn Lynch. Hey, anyway, here we stop go. Stop with the sports. <laughs> I know. Anyway, all right, it's time to uh, take a dip, put on our bathing suits because we're going swimming in the spoiler zone. I like that. I just kind of gave that like an intro. Like that's ever something we've said before. <laughs> yeah. Also, like the there's no swimming. In- <laughs> Like, wow. what, if, yeah, well, if this was it, that would work. But like, really, anyway. now it's time to jump down the, or be thrown down the well. That actually would have worked. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't have a ton of spoiler stuff, but I guess we do want to talk about the ending a little yeah. bit. I think we all have similar thoughts on the final shot of the movie mm-hmm. with Tom Jane in the hotel room. He's writing the letter and he he seems like he's going to kill himself. Yeah. Uh, I imagine he's suicide, but see, I thought that he was, but I think, I think he's, because he's finally writing this letter of regret and saying, I regret doing these things. I regret this. I regret that. I think that he's kind of resigned him because doesn't he say, Oh no, no, no. The ghosts say, but I think he's thinking in his head, the ghost says, um, it'll be, it'll be quick. Yeah. Which I think that he doesn't, he's not asking for a quick death. And I think that he knows it's not going to be a quick death because, you know, they said the same thing, but then it was like that awful cutting billion times of the neck. That was so rough. And I think, so I think that if he, if we're supposed to believe that he's actually seeing these ghosts, I think that they're absolutely not going to give him a quick death. If we're supposed to believe that they're not really there and they're in his head and that he's projecting that, I still think he's going to... To, you know, torture himself to death. Well, basically. There, there's that whole thing of him knowing all the secrets that have, or not the secrets, but all the things that happen. Like, you know, Molly Parker goes, Molly Parker, Arlette uh, goes in, <laughs> in whispers, all those things that he could never have known. Yeah. That was like, like cool. Cause that then he goes creepy. to those locations and it's confirmed that all those things that she told him are real. Yeah. So it's almost like, it's almost like the opposite of uh, of Gerald's game in a weird way, or you know, it's very similar to Gerald's game in a way, where like these things that he thought could possibly be mental, like were maybe confirmed. I don't know. Like I, th- that's what I kind of like about it. it. Is. It's very it, vague. It's, it it does do that. I mean, he does go back out, and and then the things that he thought might be f- you know fictitious, you know, in terms of Arlette t- telling him all these things about what's happening to the yeah. son end up actually being a hundred percent true because the next day once he, when he's found by the, the sheriff, yeah, he tells him, you know, Oh no, he tells him about the Arlette, right? That's, no, that's later on. That's later on. 
Well, that's, yeah, a, that's, that's, that's a different yeah. woman. Than yeah, it's a different woman. Yeah. Although here's an interesting idea. I was well, thinking he, of. obviously, yeah, but this is this is the the deep dive, and this is not what it is, but would be an interesting spin. Let's say that it really was a let that left, and that he was so powerless as a, as a person he couldn't even stop. Like he didn't, yeah, he didn't actually do it, and his son actually just rebelled and left, and you know everything just kind of spiraled out of control, and that's how mental he was that he didn't even realize that all this stuff actually did. It what none of the stuff that he had actually took control of. That would be like very American psycho. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the case, but it, it was just, it was something that floated through my head for a second. I was like, eh, that that'd be uh, that'd be a quite a detour. I my thing is it goes back to what my short story teachers used to tell me in in grad school. They would be usually your ending is about three paragraphs. Uh, you've written your pair. You've written your ending um, three paragraphs beforehand. Yeah. Like, whereas you can go back up and there's your ending because most of the time you overwrite it. Mm-hmm. And for me, the one criticism I have of this movie is that it has a great ending. And it's when the, the, when you hear the son say, dad, this will be quick. And he looks up and you hear the, the rats scurrying and that's when it could have ended. And yeah. I think it, if it was, I think it should have ended there. However, we get it, unlike, out. unlike the Gerald's game thing for me, this, the reveal that we do see is pretty fucking haunting. Yeah. And it's, it, it looks great. And it looks great. Like, and it doesn't look like cheesy. Right. And so they earn it. But a part of me is just, I just love the, the vague, the, the nature of just like the, the, the voice and it's chilling. I mean, that's enough. Like, I think that would have done it for me. Yeah. I just got chills right now thinking about this. That would have done it for me if the whole movie we never saw ghosts, actual ghosts. Yeah, and we never saw we never saw our lab. We, it was all like, uh, like in his we, not in his head, but we never actually saw the ghosts. Yeah, and then we get that final confirmation. It's it's a little, at the very end. You know what where it's the, like? where the boy says, and it's like the witch. Well, the, well, the, the witch, and also, do you ever see May? Oh yeah, when the uh, body... I haven't, but I've seen the ending, which I heard. I went, I know it's oh, terrifying. Like, my, hand, my, my hair is like, all but standing yes, up and that's like my that. thing is like yeah. where where we're not a hundred percent sure if he's actually just losing his mind because yeah. he killed his wife, or if you know. But that's that's making it a totally different movie. But I think that's how that would have worked for me. Yeah. But I didn't mind that we saw the three. Uh, you know, this is a spoiler figure. Either we saw the three standing there yeah. because we had already seen yeah. uh, Arlette throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, it wasn't surprising that we were going to see. We, I knew the other two were going to show up. Yeah. Well, I really just thought it was going to be him and her and the son. I didn't know the, I the girl was going to show I up. I was surprised about that also. Yeah. yeah. But I thought I thought the thing that, that bugged you guys was more the, the, the last line after the blackout about the things catch up to you or whatever. You know, oh, I don't mind that. I, no, I didn't mind that. I don't okay. mind that. Because I was going to say, I didn't mind that either. Um, I, I wish they hadn't said it earlier, like halfway through the movie, I think they say it. Yeah. And yeah. then they say it again at the end. I was like, eh. And I think that that was in there because I bet you that's how the, the novella ends. Probably, that one last line. And they were like, oh, this is just a perfect last line. We've got to keep yeah, it in I'm there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've read the novella. It's just been so long. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that's how the novella ends. But, There's another film that does that, though. Where I mean, there's probably a lot of them now. Yeah, where they time. do the final, they, they reiterate some other line from the other one, or you know, from earlier yeah. in the movie, and then that's like the final. Thing. Oh God, I'm trying to think what. Well, it is. Spo- spoiler alert: if you haven't seen Dunkirk, then skip ahead a couple of seconds. But the end of Dunkirk, where it's on that that last beautiful yeah. shot of the fire, and then for no reason it comes back to the main boy for two seconds yeah. just to kind of. Breathe and then it ends. And I was like, "Why did we? Do, why didn't you just end it on that last shot of the yeah. fire and the swell?" No, the I thought Dunkirk ended when Christopher Nolan came on the screen and went, <laughs> "We're done." 
We're finished. Kirk. Uh, We're done. I thought. I thought. Dunkirk is done. I thought this movie ended when Michael Jackson came down on a crane and said, "That's a wrap." <laughs> uh, that's a little. Uh, <laughs> Is that, uh, from is that, is that Liberian that, Girl? That's from the Liberian Girl video. Yeah. If you haven't checked out the Liberian, Liberian Girl video, girl. definitely check it out. It's one of the most heinously ridiculous but entertaining music videos of all time. But, but it's okay because it's the most uh, heinous and most ridiculous song on the uh, on Bad. and On Bad. And it's it's on ruins bad. the song. I thought you were referring to those me. videos that Dan found of like John Landis hanging out with oh, Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. Oh, it's, and all, it's all mixed up. If you <laughs> haven't gone there. there. Let me, the folks, if you haven't gone down the Michael Jackson <laughs> rabbit, <laughs> rabbit Dan hole, will lead you there. definitely <laughs> talk to Dan Caffrey Dan. and you'll go down it. <laughs> but back to 1922. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah we don't need to do that. I don't really know... Any other spoiler stuff? I, I think. And, oh, earlier on, I talked about a moment where Tom Jane, I think, realizes the severity of what he's actually done. Yeah, is when he looks down the well and sees the body, and she's looking up at him. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he has such a. He's so scared. Well, the rat crawling. And, and out. then all of a sudden, even when even when the rat crawls out, his first instinct is to protect her. Yeah. From the rats. Yeah, that's and it's, it. I thought it's that was like, too. It's such a human thing. It was just weird. But, like, I love that scene. Well, rats, a- rats just represent sort of such a perversion. You know, there is such a perver- perversion aspect to them. Just this idea that, you know, they soil things. They yeah. they ruin, you know, they, like, blacken and ruin the legacy of things because they, they inevitably just bring, you know, they bring shit and uh, disease yeah. and whatever to you. And, you know, that's why I like the, the whole thing with him getting bit and then Losing the idea his- that he's been poisoned and... Uh, he loses his hand, you his know. left hand too, which is uh, often considered uh, where evil. The I think I think that's what um, isn't it? It's like the left hand is yeah. the one that's supposed yeah. to be cursed. Ah. And I think that again, I don't think there is really a redemption for his character. Oh God, no, no. But I I, no. I do think that he realizes wholeheartedly that and does actually regret at the end. Um, I don't think he asks for forgiveness because I don't think he thinks he deserves it. No. Well, both but, characters um, are pretty forthcoming about that. I mean, especially the son. The son's very like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve your love. I don't even... Yeah. The love of his co-conspirator doesn't... He doesn't his, feel it. His, the, I, you know, and you were saying this earlier, I didn't really like the boy no. in the movie, yeah. but I felt like... Uh, the way that character was written was really, really well done. I felt like the unraveling of him yeah. uh, and, and dealing with it and just realizing and wholeheartedly realizing that like there's absolutely another way and that, that he realizes that, you know, he was conned into yeah. it and that, you know, now he, and he'll never be able to shake it. Well, I mean, if you think about it, he's very similar to his father in respect of when one thing doesn't go his way, he feels that his world is just cracked. Like, he, his, you know, his girlfriend that he gets pregnant is going to be sent away. So immediately he has to jump to the the drastic conclusion of I have to run away and I have to mm-hmm. bank, do pull these bank robberies and go off and go crazy and, and his recklessness. Wilford's the one saying, saying, "Don't do anything crazy now." Yeah, it's yeah. like even though we just, like, just killed your bagged your mom life. and killed her. Um, oh man! God. Any other spoilerific thoughts? Um, I uh, think if you don't like animal deaths, there's quite a few in this. Uh, you the get cow. a couple cows, the cow or cows oh. or, uh, Elvis, Elvis, Love Elvis that. and Cujo, Elvis and Cujo. Yeah. <laughs> what a dark, uh, what a, what a miserable farm to be on. Yeah. Yeah, man. Miserable movie. And I think, uh, mother Abigail ends up in that same farm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think what was your thing with the, the, the fact of that, um, the well connects this movie and, uh, Gerald's game. Well, it's, and it's, it's, Dolores yeah, Baybarn also has a well, and, and I and I, 
you, this is from Full Dark No, no Stars, right? So mm-hmm. that, that that could even be a little uh, a room two three seven for you there. Could be. Uh, it could be a little <laughs> little connection between that book and the uh, trilogy of uh, uh, Battered Women. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's actually really true. Although it's the it's the um, it's the dude who ends up in the well in Dolores. Oh, is it? Oh yeah, oh, a little flipsy flopsy. Flipsy there, flopsy. Uh, well, let's uh, jump out and dry ourselves off of the spoiler space pool <laughs> that I've created, and because um, guess what, we've got. An interview with 1922 director Zach Hilditch, who is so kind to speak with us. And stay tuned after the interview because we have a special announcement about a bonus episode we'll be releasing early next week. So enjoy the interview. I hope there is no God. Because if there is no heaven. And there is no hell. Hi, Zach. Hey, man. How's it going? Good, good. How you doing? I'm good. Awesome, awesome. Well, I I just uh, watched uh, 1922 last night. Uh, we had a fellow co-host, uh, Dan Caffrey, was able to catch it at its premiere at Fantastic Fest, and he really loved it, and I did too. I mean, just very visceral, very cold, very um, chilling. I actually had trouble sleeping last night because of it. Um <laughs> There's just something so it's just so uh there's so much dread i I just really loved it um no, thanks well, I guess the first thing I wanted to to ask and I ask a lot of the, the directors this just first off is what was your earliest uh memory of Stephen King or working or reading uh Stephen King um did you grow up reading him or was this kind of just something that you found maybe later on? yeah, it was like. I would have been around 11 and it was the mini series of it, which absolutely terrified me and my friends. And, uh, we would watch it ad nauseum again and again on a shitty VHS recorded off the television with commercials during it. Um, yeah, we, we, we ran that tape into the ground, but, uh, <laughs> we couldn't get enough of Pennywise and it was the most terrifying thing ever. And then that led me to reading the book <laughs> as, a, as an 11 year old kid, which was oh my God. no mean feat. And then that, you know, then led to Night Shift and then, um, yeah, The Stand. It was uh, the Stand mini series. So it was a lot of back and forth between the books and the films. And, and obviously, something like Stand By Me as a kid at that age as well was pretty, um, pretty amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, geez, the, the list then just snowballs from there, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are pretty much some, uh, core essentials, I would say, <laughs> especially going into, it's, it's interesting going into night shift. Cause, um, I feel like that's a, an overlooked book, uh, in terms of like people coming into Stephen King early on, uh, if only because it's, it, you know, a lot of people do think of like the carries and the shinings. And I actually, while talking to a lot of people about Stephen King over the past six or seven months, um, I'm very, I'm always interested to see that like night shift does pop up on there because that, that is such a good, I think it's just such a good uh, book to go into uh, early on. Cause it really shows the range, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I just love reading his collections um, quite a bit as well. Um, yeah. And full dark stuff is no different. Like when I first stumbled across the, the cover of that book, I think in 2011, I was like, wow, what is this? Oh, this is new King. It was only four novellas? Oh, wow. And yeah, just the first one, 1922, like, wow. I, it just, yeah, just blew me away. What, was, what is it about 1922 that really did connect with you, though? 
Yeah, I think it's, um, I just love watching ordinary people caught in extraordinary situations, you know, uh, you know, ethically challenged people who you can completely uh, empathise with, um, but not ever sympathise with, you know, like like anyone from like your Tony Soprano is your classic example of that. Like, I love Sopranos. You know, you can never condone anything Tony does, but boy, you can't look away. You can totally empathise with the situation he puts himself in um, and uh, trying to keep his family together and whatnot. And uh, Wilfred, to me, was like... A, a character like that, where it was just like, you absolutely, from one page to the next, you're going, don't do that, or that's just stupid. And then the next page, you're like, oh, how do we get away with it? Oh, how's he going to get away with this? And yeah. you're like, well, why am I thinking this? And that's just the thing. Like, he just has a way of getting under his character's skin and presenting, like, even the worst person to you as someone you can kind of understand and, yeah. um, and get on board with. Yeah, That's, I, I agree. I, I'm actually reading um, Apt Pupil right now for the first time, and cool. um, and I'm I'm Jewish, and I'm like sitting there and going, God, why do I feel bad for this guy? He's a Nazi, <laughs> like you know, he just yeah. knows how to do that. I don't know how it is. It's very strange that uh, he's able to make these kind of palpable, uh, at, like anti. I don't know. It's kind of weird calling a Nazi an antihero, but it, it's, it's just, you kind of feel, I, I was like sitting on the plane lot yesterday reading about it. And I'm just like, why do I feel bad for this guy? And like, he just has this, that magic, um, about yeah. it. And, and I, and I, I certainly feel like you captured that with the, with the film, because even at the very end, um, and especially when, uh, um, he's talking to his neighbor, I do kind of feel, I mean, there is some sort of like pathos, there's still pathos to him. Like he's still kind of like, oh, well, you know, I, I really do actually feel bad for this guy. Um, even though he's did awful yeah, things. Yeah, like he loses everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you, I read in a, or saw actually that you would um, mention Frank Darabont uh, and you were surprised that he hadn't made 1922. And, you know, it's well, watching your movie, I definitely feel like the two of you had more in common in terms of your approach to Stephen King. It seems like you really take him for, for serious. Really. I mean, for real, like, I mean, like this is, this feels like a classic film. Like it, it doesn't feel like it's trying to be, it doesn't really feel like it's trying to be a horror movie is what I'm saying. It, it really does feel like a, a classic yeah. film. Um, and I wanted to know what your, how you kind of, how you maybe approach Stephen King and, and if that was your intention, instead of it trying to be this genre movie, like you really did make this kind of serious drama in a way. Yeah. It doesn't really fit into a box at all. It's a little bit of a horror film, but not really, it's not really a drama. It's just, it's just a great character piece. And, uh, and, and that's why I absolutely love the story. Um, but also the story was written, written so cinematically that this is my very first go at adapting anything. It just so happens it was, you know, the master. It was King yeah. um, with an obscure story no one really knew about. Um, so that sort of took the pressure off a little bit. But, um, but yeah, like when I read it off the page, like I immediately just saw a Frank Darabont universe and, was, and, and never in a million years did I think I would ever be the one adapting this. And, and, but I just, I just felt like, oh, this is going to be a movie. That's going to not be a movie. And then sort of put it aside and then some doors opened up to me um, in LA after making an Australian film for these final hours and I just kept coming back to that uh, that story and kept inquiring and saying, has anyone got the rights to that? And no one knew what I was even talking about. <laughs> so <laughs> getting the rights wasn't too tricky. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, finding a home for it and getting it up, like no one really knew what this was or wanted to make it until I found the right producer in, in Ross Dinnerstein. Um, and then he had this little golden rum at Netflix at the time doing some, some low budget films and he wanted this to be the next one. And yeah, we, we took it there and it was great. Um, they were just so nurturing about the whole process. Um, but yeah, like he just left off the page of cinema to me when I read it and I immediately was sort of transported to that Darabont universe. That's why I say that I just, I just I thought he, he was probably going to do it, you know, probably going to be his next King film. Um, uh, but yeah, it just so happens that it was me that got to do it. This, uh, this director from Australia <laughs> in the film of Vancouver, as his first American movie. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I was just sort of obsessed with sort of like Dorothy Lang photographs and there will be blood and just sort of trying to yeah. make my version of, of that era as a film. Um, and just do the, 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 the material justice and the era justice that, like for not a lot of money either. Like we we really were sort of um, you know making this for the smell of an oily rag in many ways. So um, yeah, I lo- yeah, and, and I really do love that natural approach to it and the fact that it does feel. Um, it doesn't feel like, I mean, my, my problem with period piece films sometimes is that it's all very like, um, it's over dramatic. It's somewhat, somewhat maudlin sometimes, you know, you get very, um, it's like, look, we're in character. Like it didn't feel that way to me, you know, like there, especially the sequence with, um, the sequence, the scene where they're on the porch and it's, you know, it's right before the, the, the murder and, um, and she's just, um, uh, Molly Parker is just she's like drunk on wine and I, I'm watching this and it's just like, this looks like, like it's very almost documentary. Like, I mean, it's not like the way it's shot, but just very natural. Like, I mean, it, it doesn't even feel like this is like, there's even a lot of dialogue. Like it just felt like very, like almost like improv. Um, and I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, like it just, it was, it was jarring. To, it made the film to me more jarring because it, it just just felt so much more visceral. I felt like it just, it didn't, it just never felt like I was watching you know, like a, an old Capra film or like, um, even something even before that, like, you know, uh, um, but writing the screenplay, um, speaking of, uh, dialogue, um, what were challenges of, uh, you know, expanding the novella into this hour and 45 minute film? Did you find it freeing or was it limiting, um, at, po- at points, uh, you know, what were some hurdles? Yeah, well, as I said, this is my first adaptation ever. Yeah. So I was learning what that even is like um, with this with this story, and um, and I got to say, it was having the best cheat sheet ever. Like again, he just had left this thing in such good shape as a film for me that it was just about what to leave out, what to sort of um, maneuver and sort of twist around to make to make a movie. But um, but some of those scenes, like that porch you just mentioned, like. Like that's that's there in the book. That way they sort of all talk to each other. What the, the way she gets drunk and is sort of you know talking out of term to her son. Um, that that stuff's there, and, and it was and it was even more of it. It was just about having to condense and, and leave out and reshape. But um, but yeah, like it actually was very freeing and a lot of fun. You know, like like having a story like this. I just found the whole experience really fun because writing yeah. is one of the worst things you can ever put yourself through, and and having having um, King the source material to, um, to translate to the screen is actually, uh, it's, it's just a really cool process because there isn't a lot of the heavy lifting for you and yeah. rich characters, even the dialogue of the time. But again, uh, yeah, it, it was, the story was in such good shape. 
um, that it was just about what to leave out, what to maybe change, and what, and what to maybe create. Like sometimes you'll just hit one line, and it's like kind of need to see what that was about. <laughs> yeah. What that thing would have been in this one throwaway line in the book. But um, but yeah, there was some, there was some great stuff I had to leave out of the book as well. Um, just some other really really cool characters that come into Wolf's life. Um, but um, but yeah, it was it was uh, I, I would just say it was a great experience. Um, doing and, 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 and a quick one too like it didn't take me too long to adapt given that um, yeah the story was so fully fleshed and formed and that's what he's so great at I mean he's just so cinematic when he with his details I mean even just reading the stand uh, it was like I had it was just watching a movie basically just because he gets yeah. you know he not only does he get into the characters heads but I mean he just the detail to scenery is just almost like I mean it's just it's so exact that it's kind of hard not to be able to see these things like unfolding in, in, ahead of you. Um, and you know, but one of the, one of the things we really were fans of were the fact that you cast a uh, Thomas Jane, um, huge Thomas Jane fans on the podcast. Um, we never stopped talking about him, but, uh, I had read that he went method for the role. Uh, is that true? It pretty much did like for, for Thomas, like that is, that is what he gets out of being in films is experiencing the character, like living the character. You know, it's not, not even necessarily about watching, watching the film. Like, I think it's hard for him to watch himself uh, once he's um, made the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's more about living it. That's, that's what excites him. And with this, he just saw this as a great opportunity. Like he was the first actor I sat down with about this project and he, and he just, um, you know, he just blew me away. I, I knew I was sitting across from Wilf. He was talking about how his grandparents are from that part of the country. Like, they are farmers. Like, he's got this in his bloodline. Like, he knows these people. And um, and uh, he just got absolutely everything. You know, he'd already done two King, King films as well. Yeah. And that was just another weird coincidence that it just so happened to be Thomas Jane that had done those yeah. previous two films. Um, but, yeah. As far as I was concerned, I always left that life. So, so was he like living on a farm uh, prior to, to, to shooting? I, what was what was he doing uh, uh, to the lead up of production? <laughs> like, I think he did um, visit um, visit visit the farm a little bit, um, but yeah. it was more him just um, him just yeah, just look, looking into the era. I mean, we were both obsessed with this uh, coffee table book called uh, Wisconsin Death Trip, which. Apparently, the coffee table book that inspired King to write in 1922, it's, uh, it's this um, a coffee table book full of crazy black and white photography from back in the era in Wisconsin, um, matched with obituaries and just how matter of fact they, they dealt with death back in the yeah. day. So you <laughs> weird photos of people from ye olde era doing weird things and then these obituaries and it's just this crazy book. And, um, yeah, so we, we both got copies of that and, you know, he, he, he would read that a lot as well and just look at the pictures and, um, he just soaked up as much of the era as he could, you know, um, he worked on his accent. Like, like, again, like I had him on the page, but then Thomas just brought a whole other energy and, and another level like that no one saw coming, um, to the role. Um, I, I, I thought I was sitting across and whipping him at lunch. And then when, um, when he arrived in pre-production, it was like, wow, like the, the pan was there, you know, like yeah. just the swagger, the, the accent, it was like something to behold. And I was like, wow, we're in for a treat here. 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of his best performances ever. I mean, I've ever seen. I was just blown away by it, and I, I mean, especially the ending scenes where he starts to kind of just mentally lose it and get unhinged, and um, yeah, just just unbelievable performance. And um, oh, was he wearing prosthetics in his teeth, by the way, or was that just? Or was did he? It felt like he had something in his in his uh, in his like something different there in his mouth for yeah. a little bit. I think it was just more, um, there was definitely no prosthetics. It was more um, a clenched cheek bite that I think uh, he had developed <laughs> as okay. something that would do that sort of gave him that very interesting sort of like look in the movie, uh, which looked yeah. like something's going on. But, um, but I, I, I think it's more of a, uh, a, a cheek clench. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it looked like I, I kept thinking like, like his jaw wired. It, just, it was crazy how much it was just clenching down. It was great. Um, you know, I uh, the I guess I'll, I got to talk about the rats because they're just it, it, it's so disgusting. It reminded me of the creep show uh, short where the cockroaches keep coming into the the one guy's apartment. I how was how hard was it working with? I mean, because it looked like you there were live rats, right? I mean, or was yeah. I mean, no, there's some CGI in, in parts, but um, it it seems. I, how hard was it working with you have dozens and dozens of rats running around the the whole set? Yeah. There were no CGI rats at all in the entire film. Like, if we could have afforded CGI rats, then we would have been looking at a hundred million dollar budget on this thing. <laughs> this was like all in camera rats. Oh um, wow, that's 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 yeah. very impressive then. Yeah, so sometimes we had like two hundred on set, but that was all down to the uh, most amazing animal wranglers uh, on a this family called the Woodleys, who are literally a family of animal wranglers, and they specialize in rats. And, oh my uh, god! And boy, did they bring it! Did they bring their A game? They got these rats to do things that we didn't think was even going to be possible in camera, and that was a huge <laughs> headache figuring out all the rat stuff. Oh yeah, but yeah. It was all actually very lo-fi, in-camera, um, old-school rat shooting. <laughs> um, yeah, so all the rats you see, they're definitely, um, they're definitely real ones. What they do to uh, to, uh, to Molly down in the well and whatnot, that's where we had a little bit of a mix of um, prosthetics and um, and uh, CGI trickery, but, but the rats themselves are, um, are all 100%. Oh, my God. Yeah, because I, 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 that's the only one I was like wondering about was when it comes out of the mouth. I was like, how the hell do they get that? <laughs> so, that would I don't be think... very patient. <laughs> what do you do? What it needs to do? <laughs> was there any scene with them that was just that that kind of required a bunch of reshoots, or was it just like you know one that was really tough? Um. Yeah, like all of the well stuff that yeah. was tricky. You know, and Molly was a real sport <laughs> being around that many rats. Tom, yeah. You know, he was in the hotel room day one with 200 rats. Oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, there was, there was a, the rats are the thing that will slow your production down by far. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, <laughs> but look, they were, they were amazing rats and they, uh, and they really brought it. They did. They did. What uh, I guess, um, and Molly did too. I mean, God, the, the the makeup for her was terrifying, and I imagine that probably was a, a process in, in itself. Um, yeah, she had never done anything like this before, and that's why I also attracted her to the role. Yeah, she was my first pick for Violet. The fact she said yes was like just ridiculous. Um, so I'm just so happy we got those two together. Um, but yeah, she had never done prosthetics before, like to this extent, like. Um, 
I tell you, like, it wasn't a lot. Uh, it's not like it was every day. Um, but, um, but, yeah, it definitely sucks for an actor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'd, I'd imagine that that's got to be awful. And and also, looks like harsh conditions, too. I mean, like, the was, were you actually shooting in winter? Um, we were shooting in the onset of winter, and the last, the last week of the shoot was very rainy and miserable, and, you know, that was, that was really hard work. Like, we went from the most luscious green grass of that house to, like, yeah. wood stuff. It was just a mud bath, uh, and we just went that long. <laughs> you got 150 people trampling through there. Um, it's like, yeah, uh, it was pretty nuts. But we managed to just get out of there before what I think is one of the biggest storms that ever hit Vancouver. Then, um, then hit that place. Um, so, um, so we were kind of lucky. But yeah, it was definitely had its challenges replicating 1920s Nebraska in 2016 Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. Um, this time last year, exactly. We were shooting right now. So yeah. Oh my god. It's yeah, and it could, because I mean, the snow shots are just gorgeous. I mean, the just really, really lush. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I just really, really dug it. Um, I, I did have one fellow, like one of my uh, fellow co-hosts had a random question that, um, what did you use for the cow's teat? <laughs> he asked me that. I don't know why. Cow, cow's teat. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. That was a real rat um, eating away at a, com- at a completely fake cow and teat <laughs> under, <laughs> undercarriage, if you want to call it. Okay. Um, yeah. That one. That was one of those patient shots where we had to just be very patient with that rat. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that would that would drive me nuts having to just stare at rats the entire time, just be like, just do it, just come on, like you know, what are you doing? Yeah, um, <laughs> always behind the eight ball. And you know, yeah, you got to do rat stuff. It's uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. Knowing that you're then the, the scenes hinge on these you know creatures that you can't even communicate to. It would is uh, that's got to be frustrating. Um, <laughs> you know, night, this was picked up by Netflix, who also scooped up uh, you know Gerald's game from Mank Flanagan, and he works pretty closely with them. And I was wondering if you had like a similar relationship with uh, Netflix now, and if we were going to be able to expect more films from you on Netflix in the future. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Netflix did this amazing in terms of making films like 1922 and, and yeah. the films that I kind of want to make. Like, there isn't a specific, you know, um, box that you can put certain films into. And I think what's wonderful about them is they're there for those kind of films that aren't necessarily being made anymore. Yeah. And um, and this movie is absolutely no different. And these are the kinds of movies that I want to make. And, um, and yeah, like, they're just... They've just come out. They've just come around at a time and doing their own original content um, at a time where I think it's needed. You know, mm-hmm. like people want to tell their stories still that aren't, you know, uh, two hundred million dollar blockbusters. Yeah, like it's it's kind of a great home because they are very direct friendly. They are very nurturing. They are all about the creative and um, and they sort of leave you to your own devices to a certain extent. Um, and when they do weigh in, it's usually really, really amazing because everyone wants the best product. Um, and uh, and this experience was yeah my first um, my first dealings with them. But um, I'd go back in a heartbeat. Like they're um, they were just really great through the whole process. Would you want to do uh, another Sting uh, Stephen King ab- adaptation? Yeah, I don't know. Like um, probably not immediately. Probably yeah. follow <laughs> another one. But um, but I mean, there's just so many. There's just so many 
there's so much material out there. Yeah. Deciding on what it what it would be, I, I have no idea. But um, but who knows? You never know. You never know. Are there any? Have there been any stories in addition to 1922 that you that had like that you read and you're like, God, you know what? I'm, I am starting to get some images from here. I could maybe maybe do something with this. Yeah, I don't know. Um, as I said, I couldn't name names right now. There's just yeah. so many. <laughs> there are just so many that that um, that would work as films. I think. Um, but um, but yeah, as I said, we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah. <laughs> I no, guess on well, I hope. I mean, because I, I really loved, uh, God, I really love this movie, and I think you had a great eye for King. And now that we're in a King Renaissance, I think we could use, uh, you know, great filmmakers like this, you know, and like, yeah, like you. I mean, it just it would be awesome to, to get your eye on more of them. Um, I guess the last question I had, which we always ask every filmmaker, um, is, uh, and I think I kind of have the answer based on earlier on, but what would you say is your favorite book? by Stephen King, um, you know, overall? Um, I think, well, obviously I'm biased because I'm obsessed with this story, but it is a yeah. novella. Um, I think that, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe it or maybe The Stand. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I'd probably, if I had a gun to my head, probably want to <laughs> too. Well, I hope that's not ever the case. <laughs> Some random guy coming over. Like, I got to know. Just you got to let me know this yeah, now. But <laughs> well, it's a good one. I, I think it's a great one, especially if you read it as a kid. I really wish I would have read it as a as a kid. I think it would have been much better for me. I read it as an adult, so I was relating more to the, the adult stuff uh, at the time. But um, I imagine it would, it's got to be just a terrifying, especially the miniseries, because I didn't see the miniseries until later on either. But. Um, right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, you know, this has been this, this has been a lot of fun, and um, I'm really excited to see the re- the reactions uh, to this film on Friday when it comes out. And I think it's going to just yeah. I think it's going to be great. I think it'll be great. Crazy times, crazy times all around the world on the same day. Like what? <laughs> I know it's it that it's so it, that, that's what I love about it though. I it really makes such a a, a universal thing. Um, yeah, and it's, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's really fun and you're, and it's right in the, it's, you couldn't have released this at a better time. Um, you know, cause I, I think everyone's, this is kind of like unprecedented, like at least for Stephen King, cause there's been th- now three great films in a row that, that are coming out that I'm just, it's, it's exciting. It's very exciting. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Cheers, man. Uh, thanks a lot. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll talk in the future. This is good luck with everything. Great. Yeah. Thanks for the interview. <laughs> No, of course. Talk soon. Bye. Okay, bye. And there it is. What a nice guy. Very awesome. nice. Really cool. He's a cool dude. Really, really nice to you chat know, with him. All these filmmakers that we've been talking to, they're all know, they're good, great. good peoples. Great. Mike Flanagan, Andy Machete, his sister, Barbara. We're gonna we're gonna get a filmmaker one day that's be like you know well what you want wank is you want to piss off oh fuck I hate you <laughs> yeah. he'll be British just, yeah it will be British um, but to that special announcement uh, Mike could you yeah. do the honors uh, we we locked down uh, one of the white whales that we've been trying to catch for a while we got Jane I just want my kids back <laughs> we, got we got Jane, Jane. <laughs> we got Tom Jane yeah. uh, we're, we're gonna, gonna be talking be... to Tom Jane on uh, on Friday. Uh, which is uh, literally probably the day that you're listening to this, um, depending on when we decide to get this edited and out there. But uh, yeah, early next week, we we, we didn't want to wait and include it in this episode. We wanted to put Tom Jane alone because guess what? We're not even, we're not just going to be talking about 1922. We're going to be talking about the mist. Booyah. Frank Darabont's the mist, not that bullshit thing that happened this summer. And, and 
We're going to be talking about... The old, uh, the old dream catcher. The old dream catcher. I am so curious to hear... Stands. I hope he opens up about dream catcher a little bit. Because it's like, it's not... It, I mean, it's it's a fucking crazy movie. I love the characters, but it. it's not devoid of of good stuff. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I I saw it opening week, opening yeah. night in theaters, and I remember having a blast watching that movie. I saw it very well, not very recently, but I think there's a ton of stuff that does really work yeah. in that movie. All uh, the especially with stuff. The, the mind, uh, yeah, the way that the mind is cataloged in the library and all that. Like, I, I, yeah, it just that opening that movie is freaky as hell. Yeah. Um, the cast I'm, is I'm great. I'm just really excited that we're going to have Tom yeah. Jane on. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Nervous. I'm excited to talk about, you know, and unfortunately I won't be, I won't be there. So definitely ask him about his relationship with Stephen King and yeah. if he, there might be some, uh, something on the horizon, because I would love to have him come back and do some more King. Well, we Hell are, yeah. we're going to, we're going to probably open it up uh, on Facebook on Friday morning. Yeah. To, so stay tuned, prepare yeah. your Tom Jane questions now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so this was great. This was fun. Watch 1922, hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram, leave us a review on iTunes. If you haven't yet, that really helps us and gets more eyes and ears on the podcast. So thank you guys so much. We always appreciate it. Uh, just any engagement that you give us whatsoever, because we're a bunch of losers and it's nice to have friends. So in the meantime, long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network.